and welcome back to the Hi-Fi Podcast with Darren and Duncan. I'm Duncan. I'm Darren. And today we've got a fun episode for all the DIYers out there. We know we've got a bunch in our uh, listening audience just from our the feedback that we get. Um, if you listen to much of our podcast, you know that we're very eager to DIY stuff when we're curious, you know, just to answer a curiosity or, mm-hmm. or what. And uh, Darren and I both have uh, extensive experience making our own stuff. Darren, now it's your job. You know, you're you're basically a professional DIYer. Um, you know, Darren's yeah. Darren's a senior analog design engineer at PS Audio, so he uh, he develops products, and we'll be talking about that kind of stuff, the actual development. But essentially, uh, today's episode is about tips and tricks that you and I have picked up along the way. Um, so it's going to be a great topic. Stay tuned for that. Before we get into that, as always, we check in with each other. What's been going on with you this week, audio-wise, Darren? Um, so an interesting thing happened. Um, I uh, last week I got the Inuos server. I got an Inuos uh, Zenith three. Yes, you mentioned server. that. And I uh, noticed that when I added the matrix to it, that the matrix uh, SPDIF two reclocker actually improved the sound. You you spoke uh, a little bit about this matrix, and you've spoken about it before, and it's a pretty good budget product. Like oh, it's an incredible yeah. product. For if it's coming from like a computer, bucks or something. Yeah, four hundred and forty bucks. Like coming from, from a computer, or yeah, coming from a, you know, if you have a Mac Mini or you have a laptop. Uh, it, it drastically improves the interface between your you know, your computer and right. your DAC. But right. um, I was trying to reclock the Inuos uh, directly from the Inuos USB out uh, into the matrix, and then uh, I was going EBU into the direct stream, and I just. Uh, so I, I was I had a friend over and I was uh going to show him the difference between having the reclocker in and the reclocker out and so I could go ahead and take the reclocker out and this was just wait uh, but this was after a whole weekend of your this, system playing while you were out of town right so yeah burn like this in, was burn actually in, burn in, burn in. three and a half days of it um including nights because Dude, I wasn't home that is a lot of time it's That's a lot basically of time like 10 days worth of of listening burn in if it, not more it is yeah. yeah and I just had it on repeat um so it was just kind of burning everything in and the system was actually on too so so it was a brand new Inuos the rest of the system was actually playing music the whole thing was cranking people your neighbors thought that you were having a party nonstop, you know, or whatever. Oh, I didn't, I didn't go that loud, but, uh, but if, yeah, if someone the was crickets, trying to rob me, the uh, crickets yeah. were wondering what, if you, if you were ever going to sleep. Yeah. They're like, come on. We're they already know I don't here. sleep. <laughs> That's right. All right. So, so um, what's going on? What happened? Uh, so, you know, I take the reclocker out expecting, you know, things to get worse. You're showing him the demo yeah. to show how, how the, the influence, how much the matrix improves the situation, which you wanted to demo for me last week. I didn't have enough time to hang out and do it. I kind of wish that I had yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, go on. Yeah. And, and I was shocked at what I heard. Uh, it was a lot better without the matrix now. What? And I'm just like, this is, unbelievable are you kidding me so the matrix like takes usb and converts it to spit if then goes to your deck so it's like a conversion slash reclocking yeah deal but the it, what's cool about it is it uses a femto clock 
which is a very expensive piece of uh, componentry in a yes. circuit. And um, and so it's a really trustworthy, very fa- very accurate clock. Yeah. And so it's 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 on its by specs on its face like just an incredible bargain. Oh, it's a, at yeah, it's four hundred. At 40, you, 40 bucks. If you're coming from a really noisy device like a computer, it can be, again, like a serious, serious upgrade for $440. Well, and if you listen to the passion in your voice last week when you're talking about The Matrix, I've experienced it where I've come over and I'm like, dude, how is your streaming so good? And you're explaining to me, like, it's it's really this. It's like conversion to balance spitif, and, and, and it goes into the DAC. You know, it's just it just sounds so good, you know. Um, so you, yeah. you know, I've that's what I've grown to to know about the Matrix. So it's fascinating to to watch you overshoot it, right? In terms of whatever the the input source. I'm now it's almost irrelevant. Like where you know uh, we can make this digital chain, uh, you know, overly complex or reclock it too much, and stuff gets weird. And I, you know, you just. How could I measure this? I I have I know I have the the world's best AP um, audio precision I have computer a, measurement. Computer. I have an APX five 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 series B totally specked out to the max. Yeah. Okay. I could run uh, digital, you know, the digital analyzer on it and look at the way. I promise you, there won't be any difference between the matrix, what's coming out of the matrix, and what's coming out of the Inuos. Um, so. So I just I'm blown away with how the Ineos has changed because it was it was sounding pretty harsh up top without the the matrix and when I put the matrix in it really fixed things and I was like well I yes. guess you know I guess that's what you pay for in the the higher end yeah. Ineos is, is basically kind of a matrix type thing and that is inside. The, the sound of the matrix now compared to where it's gone because it it, it what it gave the system in response to the to the brand new out of the box Inuos is kind of like in before was beneficial. Now is not as good as as where the Inuos is. It's insane because it's only digital. For anybody that thinks that you have to have mechanical elements in order for burn-in to be real, or maybe okay, I'll I'll admit if you've got a board chock full of big old discrete components and big old stuff, you know, and maybe some heat based regulators that change their you know, okay, I'll give you that. But uh digital only, you know, and the burn in is that like intense. Fascinating. I don't Mind know what's changing in there. Well, we were talking yeah, about just... how it's hard to pinpoint it because you have a whole system after this digital signal. And so even if you change the, the digital clocking, you could be changing the interaction with the DAC. You could be changing, you know, mostly probably the interaction with the DAC, which, which has some kind of other uh, chain reaction effect with certain things in the system that would be a different reaction if it was a different system. So, the, you know, the fact is witnessing that that kind of change so we just did it we were listening to our um recommended album of the week and it's 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 just it's there clear as day i i just wonder like whether the there's if you took a brand new you know chris dex femto clock um oscillator and you were to measure the phase noise like uh over a period of time 
Hmm. Like, you know, over, if that's where the over a period of a week or two weeks of being on in a certain heated environment verse, and then compare that to, you know, the first minute that you turned it on, whether you, whether the phase noise would drift at all. I'm just curious about that because that's kind of the way it sounds is it sounds like, you know, it had a, had a clock that had high phase noise. And by that, do you mean noise that's out of phase? Yeah, like how much the the oscillator drifts in phase. Gotcha. Yeah, so that's that can cause jitter, and so that's why you you pay more for for a lower phase noise mm. oscillator. Mm. So uh, Christex is a company that that makes uh, and produces um, uh, oscillators, and you know you can buy anything from you know uh, an oscillator that's ninety cents to fifty dollars from them. You know, and the Femtos are like in onesies they're like 48 bucks you yeah know, it's yeah they're not the, it's the they're good the stuff very nice very nice uh oscillators uh huh. so huh. they they have the lowest uh phase noise spe- specifications hmm. uh but i would just be curious how how like maybe that might be you know i i've well, always i'm always trying to search for why is the sound changing and and you know the the lar- the most common argument out there is Oh, it's your mind. It's your ears, man. Right. And and I say, but I didn't listen to it in between. Right. There's you're not a you're not a frog in a boiling kettle. I'm not. No. Not I they didn't turn the heat things. up on me. You, well, you, I I, I wasn't the way, in the kettle. The, <laughs> the frog simply doesn't notice that the temperature is getting hotter. Okay, but it's a frog. Okay, and and like. What we're trying to do is notice everything. When we're sitting in the listening yeah. position and we're we're making a change, all of our notice receptors are on. So it's not like, you, you know, like, first of all, you're going to be sensitive to it. Second of all, you've removed that inter- intermediate period. So it's just like a fallacious argument on his face, I believe, to to say that it's the user. Unless... Yeah, um, I think I think there's like a... It's it's it it's so common because there might be a sliver of truth to it. That's if, what I was going to say. Unless you yeah. overdo it and really just sort of like settle into it without without cataloging your thoughts and then like let it go for a long time and then all of a sudden you're you are aligned to it maybe. Well, I'm just uh, I'm to the point where I'm just a little bit over list spending too much time listening to components that are directly out of the box. Yeah. So I do an initial listen and then it's leave it, leave the system, huh. um, you know, and, and let that burn in for a while and then revisit. Yeah. So I, I don't, uh, to, to take that out of the equation and I have to do this at work too. I'm not listening. I don't have time at work to listen to an amplifier for 300 hours. Right. What I do Every is I of it. hook it up to load resistors and I put music like I normally would into the amplifier right and i look at the you know the rms voltage coming out generally you know on um on a multimeter and i i'll pick a certain rms you know power that's going into the load resistor and i'll let that bake for 300 hours and then i'll pull one from production that is brand spanking new that just passed testing and that's it's only been on for five minutes or eight minutes and um and then i'll compare the two 
And and we're going to get so. into this uh, even more with our one of our questions, uh, probably the first one from the listener. But um, you've experienced that and expressed that before, and it's just mind-boggling. Um, but what you were talking about, well, is usually uh, like digi- uh, components with digital elements and analog elements and a whole bunch of stuff going on. It, I, I just, yeah, I mean, I guess some of the digital world for sure for me is just, you know, out there in the ether and like way above my, uh, pay grade if you will. Um, but, uh, you know, when you think about the, the possibility of just like interactions when you're talking about thousands of this and millions of that and, you know, yeah. such high speed, yeah. uh, oh, things yeah. going on. Oh, it's yeah. just, it's, it's a little too much for me to wrap my hand around. So, well, there's a lot, it's, it's a lot for, for many engineers to wrap their head around the whole thing to understand. That's why they'll just, some will just say, Oh, well like the breaking has to be psychoacoustics. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like a lot well, easier if you, it's a lot easier if you, if, if, yeah. you, if you can just come to those conclusions. Right. But uh, I hate to say it. A lot of times it's not a lot of these, you know, it's, it's uh, I, I don't sit there and I don't, you know, kind of warm myself up in the, in the kettle. I'm not the frog that's, you know, uh, start boiling, you know, it's not really, um, I, I, I don't want to spend time listening to a component that's not really broken in. So I don't, mm. I don't do it. I just let it, I do an initial listen to see where it's at out of the box. Usually I'm kind of like, yeah, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> and then I'll leave it and I'll come back to it. And it, it, it this was a great time because I, I went on a trip and was gone. Right. And so when I returned, the system had been playing for like three and a half days and I mean, it was just completely different. So, you know, I'm now I'm wanting to do, you know, we were just adjusting the Wilson's. Yes. Cause like things changed so much yeah. that we wanted to make adjustments to the speakers even. Yep. It's and just, we did the matrix demo to double check. Uh, yeah. Yeah. With my ears. And yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. We and heard and you heard it again. Heard everything. Yeah. 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 Right. Interesting dude. So anyways, wow. that's what's up with me. What's, what's going on with you? Yeah, um not a ton this week. Had a had a decent week of um uh nice weekend of getting out. Man, it's been just beautiful here in Colorado. Yeah, like, oh yeah, man. It was it was a gorgeous weekend. It's leaf peeping time, so all the leaf peepers get out there and do their <laughs> do their peeping and uh it can clog up the roads. So you so actually this year I'm I'm a little more prepared for that cuz I never used to do these trans Colorado journeys like so frequently as I do now when I'm obsessed with fishing, right? Before I was obsessed with fly fishing, I'd, I, and I would do those kind of journeys for cross country skiing or like adventures, but we wouldn't go that far. Now I'll, I'm willing to drive three hours at 3am in the morning, uh, just to get out there right at dawn. And you know, then I come back, man, last year I confronting the leaf peeper traffic coming back to Denver on Sunday. I took me like, it took me like six hours to get home one day and it, it was two hours to get there. So it was just like staggering. Uh, so anyway, trying to learn wow. my lesson this year. And, and now I know the arteries where all the peepers go. So <laughs> this last weekend went a couple places where there was just nobody. I didn't see anybody all day and it was just the Colorado beauty at its best, you know? So, um, I didn't sit around sitting and listening to the, the stereo system this week, but, Let's see. 
audio wise uh i am i've i've uh i've come to a really good place on this album that i'm working on with uh for the riverside um i think i'm ready to send it to jake and just see see what he thinks because at this point it sounds good on all these systems that that I played on. I think it's just going to be a subjective thing of, do we want this character to the treble or do we want to back off it just a, a tiny bit? Cause one of the things I always get from him is I get the very same kind of EQ mix all the time. So it's all based on his monitor system. And, um, I'll get into this with him at some point, but to this point I've just been giving him like recording advice, mm-hmm. but I haven't been giving him monitor advice and it's, it's so important, you know, like that's, if if all mixing uh, setups and control rooms had exquisite monitor, monitoring setups from top to bottom, I mean bottom, bottom, 20 hertz, um, you would get such great recordings. You would get really consistent EQ profiles. You would get, because <clears throat> good sound is good sound. I mean, an instrument sounds like an instrument. You know, if you're trying to be creative, that's one thing, but... I think uh, there just so much variability exists in the recording situation, largely because of these stinking monitoring situations. They, they try to save all the space for the, the live rooms and the, where the musicians are going to be. Then they cram all of the equipment, all these computers and boards into a tiny control room. Hmm. And, and then they bring in an acoustic help or some consultant who will say, well, I guess we could do this. I mean, I've been in control rooms where it's just like, are you kidding me? Like, I get that you need to kind of like give most of the space to the performance, but you're really like you're shooting yourself in the foot bass wise in here, not to mention like I get no soundstage from these monitors. Anyway, mm. so um, <clears throat> where was I going? Oh, uh, so there's a consistent profile with, with Jake's uh, treble. There's a roll off and I always bring it up to a certain degree. So, and I think the way that you do that is going to, you know, it's going to, it's, it very much affects the whole, um, it's kind of what, one of the things he's looking at me to do, because as a mastering engineer, one of my, uh, things I offer is, is just a system that's been really, really dialed in that's neutral and honest and accurate. So, um, so I can say there's way too much sub bass and this is nowhere near enough treble. And that's kind of usually where I get with their recordings. Um, cause he uses this, um, electronic trigger for a, a bass drum and it kicks out. I mean, it starts at five Hertz. I see this stuff start coming up. It's crazy. Wow. It's unchecked, ungated, fully opened this thing. I don't even know what brand it is, but it's called a, it's not called a sub kick. That's something else. Um, anyway interesting interesting uh little you know behind the scenes stuff with this album but i'm finished with that and then uh now i'm kind of turning my focus to my friend kate who has um i think about eight tracks right now and she wants uh some mixing help and so we're we're at the mixing stage and so um listening through her tracks she she recorded and mixed it herself and um i think one of the main things people um you just so focused on other things other than uh, your your spread stereo widths when you're doing everything yourself. You're trying to get this here and this here, fit all the bandwidth, get the crescendo so it doesn't overload and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I bring a fresh set of ears to it and I immediately say, okay, two things. First of all, we've got to broaden this somehow and, and like really widen it. And then second of all, um, I, what I'm wanting from your tracks is is uh 
is like the, the typical pop production where they take the voice and make that half of all of the sound that you're hearing, right? Because that's the focus. <clears throat> and it's not like that's Kate's style, but that's a little more of what I want. So anyway, I'm just getting into like, these are the kind of, you know, little overview kind of pro- producer kind of things that I'm thinking about, like suggesting mm. now, you know, she doesn't have to take that advice, but um, mm-hmm. she's a friend and, and uh, her, her tracks have a lot of potential. So that's another project working on. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. Um, Very cool. Yeah. Audio wise, you know, at work, I'm a testing technician for the music room. If, if you're not familiar, tmraudio.com, we, specialized in uh used hi-fi and we actually uh warehouse more uh used hi-fi gear than anywhere else in the whole world we're uh we're the world's biggest in in that regard so um always tons of stuff in our lineup and i'm always writing about this kind of cool weird funky thing and that kind of cool thing i just wrote a great uh blog piece about these two uh jadis jadi i mentioned it last week <clears throat> but I actually got to spend time with the preamplifier as well um, after I we did our uh, podcast. So you're you're talking preamp and amp eight chassis. That's a full tubes. Dang. Actually, it's it's solid state rectified, so it's uh, regulated or whatever. But uh, wow, really, really cool. And I I called. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna publish the blog post uh, probably this week, and I. Actually, we're going to wait until the, the, actually the pieces are listed on the site and then I'll publish it. But I call it, uh, Jadis, the God of Chrome, you know, and, and, and that's <laughs> right. Really, you know, that's what you're come away with. Just, yeah. yeah. And one of the things I mentioned is, you know, in, at hi-fi shows, a, a, a full Jadis stack is like this shiny vortex that just kind of draws people in because you just mm-hmm. like, even if Chrome's not your thing. Mm-hmm it's there's it's impressive you know i like how they always use the el34 is i always thought i have something a crush on the el34 amps they um uh, there's always something right about them it's interesting you mentioned that because yeah. they will on a on a personal level when you are buying uh janice jadi i don't know uh th- there's 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 interaction of let's tailor this to your system and they're they're very big on do you need uh EL34s. They recommend EL34s, I think, by default with this amplifier that I was uh, that I was doing. But it can also be set up for 6550. So they're saying, you know, for mm-hmm. these different flavors, mm-hmm. uh, here's that. Okay. So, but they, cool. yeah, they, they this this uh, person that sold these amps to us said he was recommended specifically the EL34 version. And nice. it sounded incredible. I mean, just get out of here. I, I bet. Stupid, I bet. Stupid good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just love that. Where was Very I? cool. Oh yeah, but I just had some fun stuff like that happen this week, but nothing really big in in my system. I mentioned that I built a quadratic residue residue diffuser. I want to do more of those, so I'm going to keep keep working on um, acoustic treatments, DIY acoustic treatments, and keep posting uh, stuff on the on our systems page on our website, which is www.thehifipodcast.net. If you've never been. But that's about it with me. So let us get Very into cool. some questions. Let's do it. <clears throat> so um, if you have a burning question for us, uh, Darren's an experienced engineer. I'm an experienced tester of just thousands of products over all of Audiophile's history. Um, sort of a 
reviewer without a magazine, if you will, or something, mm-hmm. I don't know, for my own self. But we bring a lot of uh, complimentary and, and interesting perspectives, I think, to the hi-fi hobby. So if you've got a question that you think we can help you with, our uh, email address is hi-fi at outlook.com. And we'll take uh, questions, tips, uh, and album recommendations or, you know, any kind of joke. I think we mentioned jokes are good. Um, any kind yeah, of jokes or yeah. encouragements toward our insanities, like, you know, the, the tweak I just pushing us over a ledge. Hey, check out this tweak. I've been getting a lot of those. Mm. People are oh, like t-shirt recommendation, t-shirt recommendation. Yeah. For I like slogans. That. Yeah. Slogans. We're going to do this by the way. Yeah. We have several listeners who have demanded that, that we start this, uh, you know, cable stand t-shirt army or whatever, yeah, yeah. the cutoffs and the cutoff sleeve is very important uh for the whole it is. hilarious aspect of it this, is but. it's a part of the whole thing yeah the yeah tank I, top i have to have one that you mentioned that says on the front which which one's on the front digital sucks or analog sucks on the front and then digital I, sucks I think, on the um, back i think you want I think you want digital, digital sucks, sucks on the front. On the front. Yeah, because that's the, the, the larger yeah. shocker. Everybody's like, and everybody's oh, going to yeah. be, oh, you're, you're that an analog guy. guy. And, and then, then you they turn, turn around and it goes analog, analog sucks. sucks. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> that's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, all right, so let's get into some questions. Now, we got a whole bunch of questions this week. Um, we're starting to get a f- perhaps maybe uh, one or two, a few more than, than we can answer with our kind of like preferred pace of about two, two per um, podcast. One reason we like to keep it about that size is that it keeps the, the segment about the same size as other segments, but it's also like, um, man, it can, we really focus on these questions and try to answer them well. And it can really kind of like take us away from the main topic and kind of like, uh, I don't know, it, it can get, it can get a, a little much if we're, uh, taking on, you know, more than two or three or something, I think mm-hmm. per, per episode, we, we like to, uh, keep it that. So anyway, um, all that said, if you haven't heard your question answered, don't, don't worry. We've got a list here. We're trying to catch the old ones. Uh, some we save for our friend, Chris, Chris Brunhaver, if you've ever actually, by the way, I, I looked recently at our statistics. I don't look very often, but the Chris Brunhaver episodes are, are among our top five. I told sure. Chris, I, I told Chris that today, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so anyway, we'll, um, we'll have him back and, and we're going to, we're going to start incorporating some, some new guests as well. Absolutely. So absolutely. So. We love Chris because he's yeah. extremely eloquent. He's like a walking encyclopedia. Yeah. He, he's a speaker guy. Can't not yeah. feature him on a, Oh, absolutely. Like anyway. Um, okay. All that said, um, you know, we're, we're, uh, we, we try to answer the questions that we really feel that we can, um, come in strong with and have a great, uh, uh opinion about. So, mm-hmm. uh, this week's, the first question is, comes from Ben Keeler and, uh, the subject is amp speaker synergy. Hey gents, I am looking to upgrade my near field setup at my desk and I love to build DIY speakers. This is a great, by the way, DIY episode from beginning to end. I think you were talking about DIY. We're this guy. We're going to get into a whole topic. It's it's a DIY day. So uh, continues, Ben. My current setup is nothing special, but I find that pairing a soft dome tweeter with a Class D amp seems to work best for near field, as most Class D amps don't have fans and may have a more forward sound that complement a soft dome tweeter. 
I'm wondering if I upgrade to a bookshelf that has a ribbon tweeter, will a class D amp still work? Will the ribbon sparkle and will the forward class D amp be too much treble? What have been your experiences and, and or preferences for near field listening? Near field listening. Very important. Ben Keeler. Okay. Thanks, so ben. to start off, I would say first thing we need to make a distinction that, you know, almost every class D amp sounds different. Um, so you can't necessarily say that class D's are forward sounding. Uh, some actually have the opposite problem of this darkness that they uh, have due to the high phase distortion at high frequency that they introduce hmm. due to the output filter. So there, there's also like a darkness about them um, when they're, you know, when you do hear some their parasitics or you hear a cheaper class D amplifier. The output filter filters um, out the switching frequency, right? Correct. So it has yeah. to be there. It has to be there. And if they and put it too close to the band, but and make it really steep, you're yeah, going to Or they don't have feedback after the filter gotcha. to correct that, too. Gotcha. So there there are many subtleties there. Um, so, you know, class Ds can range from being bright sounding to being neutral sounding to being kind of dark sounding. I wouldn't say necessarily warm, but, but they dark is in kind of hidden details in the top end and and not really naturally revealing of inner uh inner you know nuances and resolution um so so you know that that's kind of a a difficult topic there because you could find class d's that are all over the map on on the the tonal tonality of 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 them Hmm. um now when it comes to the tweeters uh this is also a difficult subject because I will say that uh, cheap fabric domes are perhaps very, you know, rolled off and very, not rolled off, but soft sounding. Yeah, right. And then world-class fabric dome is, well, world-class, which means that- I was hoping you were going to go there. It it actually, a a bell on a cymbal sounds like a real bell on a cymbal. It's not soft. It's- it's made out of a soft material, but it they compete with the best tweeters in the world. Yeah, they're um, removing, they're doing stuff that's as little as scraping a micrometer off of the glue that's on the voice coil because it changes a resonance that makes it more linear. You know, I've heard stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's it's one of those examples we've and we've talked about this with Chris a few times how an old technology and, and old speaker technology then resurfaces and starts becoming this state of the art tech again and and uh paper in woofers and mid ranges that's another one where you have you know stuff like the revelator being a paper driver yeah. and it's absolute state of the art driver it's like the bicycle um, too they tried to reinvent the bicycle a million times it the double diamond is what you mm, call it okay and they, they try square wheels the <laughs> no well maybe a long time ago. <laughs> only in canada only in canada right right <laughs> says a canadian yeah regular. i could say that um but you know they had these y things that were just these suspension things and everything just had a, had a different torsional issue or some kind of stability okay. issue that the double diamond just solved hundreds of years ago oh uh, 100, yeah 100 okay. years ago cool cool i didn't know that yeah, yeah. interesting yeah. um yeah so so with the you know it's hard to say that uh a fabric dome has a certain sound to it. Um, 
But I do know that there are a lot of, you know, $20 fabric domes that sound really soft and really... Yeah, that's what I know. would do. If, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's... Yeah, yeah right. So, um, so, you know, actually for the price, uh, a lot of ribbons will reveal a lot more information down there at that, you know, at that $20, $30 range. Yeah. Um, so uh, they'll have different characteristics about them. Like, you know, they'll be a little bit more directional vertically because of the geometry. Um, uh, so, you know, there's all these different characteristics here. One thing about ribbons that very nice, like planar magnetics and um, AMT drivers, uh, it, they, they are very easy on the ear. Like mm. they don't, shout at you hmm. oh so sure. so as far as uh class d being harsh or class d being you know glassy or or mm. you know any of these pejorative terms that we use for brightness because brightness doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing it just uh, uh uh but when we use you know harsh or grainy or glassy these are all towards the pejorative side um that uh that the ribbon won't really i don't think do anything any harm to that so I, I i don't see any i don't see any problem necessarily with with the ribbon with ri- ribbon tweeter now the the other thing too is that um ribbons uh one of the really nice thing about them is that they're basically like a resistor like mm-hmm. they don't have inductance at mm-hmm. all so yeah, what what's so nice like about that is that you don't get a a, a rising uh, uh that's uh, nice impedance curve right which the you know maybe a, a a cheaper class d amplifier actually might react to react to and uh, you might get yeah. a um as the as the impedance rises you really don't want that because what will happen is the frequency response will actually peak on the class d as well and and as the if the impedance were to drop if it were to start getting capacitive um that the 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 frequency response would start to roll off yeah but if it's resistive interesting um, it's more likely to be in that area that the manufacturer kind of designed the output filter for and because they design it on you know loads like load resistors yeah that are more resistive than than something that peaks the 30 ohms or peaks the 20 ohms at at 20k right so uh, so I would say impedance wise, they're really, really nice too for class D. So, so I don't think there's going to be a problem here. I think that going to a, if you want to go to a planar magnetic or an AMT driver, it's totally, totally fine to, to experiment with that with a class D amplifier. Um, now again, the, the quality of class D is going to matter a lot. And you mentioned that this is a near field system, um, I just can't help but recommend uh, a, a quick and easy solution, which is, you know, the uh, PS Audio uh, Sprout uh, integrated amp that, that, that you you designed that uh, I I did design. Largely, yeah. um, and you know, I I will just I could recommend that as a uh, all in one solution that has everything that you need in it: a nice Saber DAC, a Bluetooth receiver. It has a phono stage it has um a uh, hundred watt into forum um, we should say too that you designed the second version of it the the most current version yeah uh, the Sprout first 100. version was yeah. a, a, a project of uh 
Paul's son Scott and uh, Paul and and Bob, the engineering team at, mm-hmm. at PS Audio. Yeah, and, and, then, and then yeah, you were the Sprout One Hundred was a collaboration between Scott and I and you uh, yeah. for the hardware. Yeah, right and um, right. So yeah. uh, so so it's a it's a no brainer all in one uh, great implemented uh, Class D. Uh, yeah, yeah. So you know it's that that's that I, one, it's not bright. We've you talked know, about so, this before. Yeah, actually yeah. getting to know that amp, it's it's not. Yeah, it's it's amp. a fun it's a fun amp. So so uh, I, I look, you could go with something else. Um I'm just mentioning it. Uh and um but but I, I don't think that you're gonna be in trouble going with ribbons at all. I, I really don't. And I think especially at lower lower price ranges the ribbons actually might outperform the the cheap fabrics. Yeah. You know, I mean, the cheap fabrics get kind of, you know, if you go down $15, $20 region, your retail, they get, you know, they get kind of older sounding. You know, yeah. Kinda, it's kind of older ta- tech in that. And who knows, because you got a nice class D amp, who knows what happens when you turn them up and apply some current power, you know, they, they, they could kind of start, I don't know, distorting a lot. And, um, Okay, I I have two things to add to mm-hmm. to this uh, whole deal. He's talking about uh, DIY speakers, which means you have, if you're thinking about ribbons, you have a whole bunch of options. Um, but I I wanted to uh, to to bring your attention to the way that uh, Rawl and and I think other ribbon manufacturers, but the way that they use felt to kind of control. Mm-hmm some of their some of their tweeters so if mm-hmm. you look at their high-end uh ribbons they have these it, it's a uh it's like a saw wave uh of an edge of this felt that goes alongside the ribbon and it does wonders for you know controlling uh reflections that are happening inside of that ribbon tweeter yeah uh controlling directivity at at certain frequencies and that kind of thing yeah what what you'll have is uh the 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 front baffle of the tweeter um and then you'll have the the ribbon behind that well you have a gap in right. between that baffle and the or i should say like bezel and the actual ribbon itself and that gap that slot will actually create a reflection yeah for sure in there and so yeah. you'll see you'll this see a, a problem in the either sense. the power response or directly on axis uh, a frequency and distortion issue um or you know usually just a frequency response related issue there um but it uh but it could be reflected in the overall uh power response as you start to uh make for for instance a polar plot of this of the uh of the of the response and you'll see that it's off axis it's not very flat as far as delivering an, an even power response off axis. and if you so. listen to our most recent chris brunhaver episode he explains what power response is which is taking measurements all the way around the around speaker it. yeah and finding any kind of peaks that stick out and oh there's a peak over here okay well we need to get back in the drawing board as soon as you have a smooth nice power response then you know that yep. the other things that you've done with the speaker are right yes uh, and it doesn't mean that you're getting equal it doesn't mean equal coverage it's equal no. like roll off from the on axis response yeah so you should have a, a smooth tapering very typical predictable yeah f- yeah goes to directional at tweeter and goes yeah. to omnidirectional at woofer and that e- sort of exactly yeah, nice yeah that's that's yeah. what uh uh an even power response would look like but what 
what happens in reality is that it's not perfect and you get these peaks and and valleys that you don't get on axis and what yeah. that means is that when you listen when your reflections off your wall and in your room they aren't flat no they're not so linear. you might get like for instance a peak at 3k that you're not right. getting on av- off on axis but you're getting a reflection of 3k yeah so it's definitely hitting so yeah, yeah so it's it's an interesting little you know uh uh dimension in in speaker, speaker I- analyzing the subjective and objective and and connecting the two together in the speaker world yeah. is looking at those polar plots and you know john atkinson at stereophile he uh, publishes the waterfall plots and you can look at and see how the power response is is performing on a on a speaker right and, and that's how it's going to interact with uh, or it's that's how it's going to affect you a lot of people are like How's oh sound? i remember thinking oh no but i'll listen to it on axis it'll be fine right no it's like no but you're you're gonna get reflections all over your room right from that so right. the off-axis response does matter a lot right um so anyways uh, well the second thing i want to mention yeah. is yes. specifically to ribbon tweeters they cannot handle lower frequency you cannot treat them the same way on the crossover as you can a dome tweeter because they just can't handle it. They, they, the displacement starts going crazy. And, um, what you do out when you get out of the magnetic gap, the most efficient magnetic part of the magnetic gap in the tweeter is you lose efficiency. And so linearity goes crazy when you have big violent movements of a tweeter of a ribbon because it's going and just losing all of its power and so then you have this sluggish return to the center and all Mm. this kind of stuff going on um just chaos when it gets to low frequency so yeah and what they do actually is in in lower priced ribbons they can't put uh very strong magnets um Mm. in there so what they do is they they make the magnet larger like a with a, a ferrous magnet and um and because of that, there's not as much room in there for the diaphragm to move. Well, here's the thing is the, the stronger the magnetic ga- uh, uh, field, the higher the output that you get. And yeah, so well, that's there's, true too. there's two yeah. ways you can do this. You can increase the magnet strength or size, mm-hmm. or you can decrease the gap of the edges of the ribbon to the magnet. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem there is that you get really close tolerances to the magnet as soon, if, it, if it touches it, that shorts it right out you know you can never do that um so anyway but uh, you can you can use really strong neodymium magnets and make them thinner and have actually more of a more area for the diaphragm to move so you get a larger like bl area Yes. In the driver. And, and yeah. interestingly, I, I think I shared this before, but David Royer has a patent for his ribbon microphones that that offsets the ribbon closer to the performer. So the actual ribbon element is closer in the in the most strong part of the magnetic gap is behind the ribbon. Mm. So that under load, when it's pressurized from sources like of 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 you know of sound it actually moves into the gap and 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 at higher uh spls it actually gets more efficient so that's that's his whole patent is just the offset of this ribbon uh and anybody that uses this technology has to license the patent or you know from from roy or whatever it's brilliant little patent i i thought there's so many so many uh references in the in the patent of 
of where it's being licensed and used everywhere. It's mm-hmm. pretty pretty genius little idea. But anyways, I I hope that helps you out a bit. Um, you know, you can. Uh, there are many options when it comes to the Class D amplifiers. Make sure to read uh, reviews of them. Um, you know, there certainly are bright sounding uh, in a bad way uh, sounding amplifiers uh, or Class D amplifiers out there. So you do have to be be a bit cautious. Yes, and thanks, Ben, and, and stay tuned to the rest of the episode. Obviously, we're going to talk about DIY stuff pretty much the rest of the whole episode. So, yeah, yeah we're gonna t- we're gonna give a little more, a few more tips and tricks about this kind of stuff. So, speakers and amps. Yeah. Um, okay. Thank you, Ben. Our next question comes from Jody Bramel, and uh, Jody's been sending us uh, a couple emails about this uh, project, building a bottlehead more play tube preamplifier. It's based around a, a 6v6 tube. So the 6v6 was in uh, my little deckware amp. I'm just partial to that. So it's a beautiful little amp. Must so, be just a lovely little yeah, preamp. I, don't, I've, I haven't heard the bottom. So that's a, that's a power tube. It is. It's yeah, interesting. right. Yeah, it's yeah, interesting it when people use power tubes in a preamp. In We're going to have to look at You know, there's why. like 300B, 300B preamps and stuff like that. Really? You know? Yeah. You know, yes. you have a, uh, yeah. You have a tube that can produce eight watts of output power, right? Um, right. So being a being a preamp tube. So you're not using it, you know, to a, a mm-hmm. ton. You know, you're kind of like losing it real easy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, okay. So Jody though is is at the point where he's finished the the bottle head, and uh, says sounds amazing, um, and it just looks so so pretty. These bottle head kits, man. I gotta tell you, they just look so cool. Tubes on top, nice wooden base. It's, it's it's your standard thing, but the kind of the proportions of it are real nice. And here, did you see this? And and the transformers sunken oh, a little bit into cool. the top. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's just classy. Yep. Um. All right. So now Jody's in the in the stage of figuring out uh, some speakers. I will switch over to reading his email. Um. I have been looking at DIY speakers and I'm leaning towards a kit designed by Trolls Gravison, whom I've mentioned before and Chris has mentioned as a great DIY research online, uh, using ScanSpeak drivers. The kit is called the Revelator 4R. Of course, Revelator, you and I. It's a great driver. Just hits a bell. Like, oh, we love that driver. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So the Revelator 4R... Uh, from Trolls Gravison. Okay, continuing, he says, um, any opinions that you have are appreciated. I'm definitely looking at smaller monitor-sized speakers. The Falcon LS3 5 kit is an intriguing option, although something with slightly better bass extension might be better for integrating with the subwoofer. Some of the Jeff Bagby and Paul uh, Camodi design kits from Meniscus Audio also look interesting. Thanks in advance for the info. All right. I love this email. It's another DIY, uh, you know, fiend out there just like us. Um, but uh, some of my favorite, favorite folks here. I love the bottlehead um, designs and the whole kind of just idea of bottlehead really, really making the best kit stuff, you know, for headphone amps and, you know, preamps and that kind of thing. Um, but he's talking about Trolls Gravison, who who I just is a big influence for me. Um, 
And Trolls is out there, and I've mentioned it before. You go to his website, Trolls, T-R-O-E-L-S is the first name. It's hard to, um, it's not a phonetic thing if you're if you're American like us, but it's uh, it's easy to find because it's a unique name. But Gravesen's is spelled G-R-A-V-E-S-E-N. So um, Trolls has a bunch of stuff out there. I also actually spent some time at the Meniscus Audio website on uh, Jody's uh, mention here to try to check out what what's what are these Jeff Bagby and Paul Komodi design kits? So you go to Meniscus and it's cool. You click on speaker kits and it's just page after page, listing after listing after listing after listing, kit after kit after kit after kit. There's like 15 kits on a page, hmm. and um, what is it? It's it's a grupo. It's a grouping of of everything you need: drivers, uh, everything but the box, drivers, uh, capacitor co- or crossover components, wiring. Um, and the idea is, is, you know, you click on each one, there's a little story behind it. Um, now you go to trolls Gravison and what are, what is his website about? Oh, it's DIY project after DIY project after DIY project, speaker, 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 speaker. Here's these drivers. These sound great together. This is why they're, they're this generation of this. And I thought this would work with this. Here's a crossover. Um, this is paying attention to this part of that, that thing, this thing, that thing, this thing. And it's just by the end of it, each project is like turnkey. This is awesome. Yeah. And the measurements are great too. And then you look at the measurements yeah, from an just, engineer yeah. looking at his and measurements. You're like, Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They're good. And like the, the crossover design is really, uh, implemented really well. Yeah. So I, you know, so. I, uh, I looked at the meniscus audio kits and I was, I was impressed um, I, I like the idea that there's so much flavor and that when you drill down into them, you hear the, you hear the, the, um, stories and it's like, um, you know, we, as a speaker manufacturer, we're try- developing this driver. And so we gave it to, uh, Jeff and, and, and he listened to it and said, Oh, I think that would go great in this cabinet. So we tried it in this cabinet. Um, and then we tried these things and he made a crossover change and it sounded great. So here's a kit. Um, if I'm going to choose between the two, uh, I get more scientific uh, explanation from Trolls Gravison. Um, I get I get a little more confidence as a DIYer in something that's a reasonable investment. I mean, they they might not actually uh, be the same kind of price as Meniscus Audio did have some some budget stuff, but I also saw a lot of kits that were like eight hundred bucks. You make a kit that's eight hundred bucks from the parts. You're talking about a speaker that on the market would be like four thousand dollars or mm-hmm. or three thousand dollars or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. especially if you're not even counting the cabinet. And the cabinet is a lot of the money in in some of these boxes. Oh, it is. So the idea yeah. that you can get a a lot of bang for your buck is huge with all of these. Um, but if you're asking us um, and me specifically. Uh, you can have your opinion, Darren, but I, I am such a fanboy of Trolls Gravison. I've heard his speakers and they sound incredible. I've heard That's awesome. I've heard one floor stander that was a that was kind of a, a Mark II design that was okay. a thing that he had focused on and updated. So it was kind of this thing based around Seas drivers and uh and it was for the price, it was it it beat so many speakers. I wrote about it on the the blog at the music mm. room, but it beats so many speakers in terms of musicality, realism, um, enjoyment, fun, just lots of stuff. Um, 
trolls trolls knows how to make a cross crossover yeah i've never heard them but from uh just looking at the website it's always been something that caught my attention yeah so i yeah i he and he's such a contributor to the scene and so is uh jeff and jeff and paul any of these guys willing to put together kits that that help people Mm -hmm. feel that same rush that you get when you you play music through it and it sounds great Mm -hmm. and you made it yeah super cool so anyway, uh, thanks, Jody, for the email. That is uh, our take. Um, as far as LS35 uh, Falcon, LS35 is, is what it is. It's a great speaker. I've I mentioned that I was very impressed and inspired by, I don't know if it was a set of Falcons. It might have been somebody else who does who also does a Graham Audio, but it was LS35s oh, yeah. to make my own mini monitors uh-huh. that, that now just blow my mind every single day. I, I love these little speakers I made. I mean, I'm just having so much fun. You made it in like day. a day. In a day, yeah. <laughs> like including the crossover. Yeah. Whap. Just slaps <laughs> it together. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I didn't follow some of my uh, advice that I'm going to lay out in the speaker section of our DIY tips and tricks. Ah. But I, and, and I still can. And I'm still thinking about it. But anyway, okay. I'll get into that. Um, power, though. Make sure you have power with, uh, with, with those type of speakers. Right? That, oh, the, thank the, you. The, because that's what yeah. I was going to mention was they're, they're pretty inefficient. And you they're really very, need to crank they're it. They're very inefficient. They're like, you need you to know, swing volts. They're 80, 82.5, 83. You know, you, you need, you need, you need volts. That's what you need. It's, it's hard to point. hear that number, you know, it's, but, yeah. but you, you hear it and you're yeah. like, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. The speaker needs, uh, it needs voltage. It comes it. to life yeah. when you turn it up. Yeah. So sure. at that point you're literally looking at Watts into eight ohms because yeah. to get a higher voltage amplifier is what mm-hmm. you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I would go head first into the Charles Graveson thing, uh, cause it's fun. And and uh, I've and I've I've been really impressed. All cool. right, thanks thanks Jody for uh, for writing. So um, without too much transition, because we're already talking about yeah, DIY. Let's absolutely, just dive right into it. Dive right into our our topic here. Okay, so uh, DIY is like you know one of our favorite uh, things topics. We're proud DIYers. Um, Hold on, DIY over tweaking for you. I see. I feel like DIY it, is a form of tweaking <laughs> for my tweakitis and my restless audiophile syndrome. So you're lumping it all diagnosis. in one. Yeah, I see yeah. it as all the same, kind of just a little different. Flavor. I just had to ask. Sure, you know, tweak Taylor. You know, um, what's going on? It definitely activates the same part of the brain. You know, yep. when you because man, when you can build something and then you and then you press play and you're just like, oh, that's better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, yeah. It almost always is better than you thought it was going to be. I don't know that's what it is for me, but mm-hmm. and it's better when you make it. It's it maybe it's part of it. You know, yeah. Yeah. Proud papa syndrome. It's is is a is a bias that people talk about as a syndrome if if you're trying well, to disparage somebody's claims on their thing. But also It also feels good to put the work in. It's big. A proud Papa is a huge yeah. deal, dude. That's, yeah, yeah. that's part it's, of the human experience. It's yeah, it like is. Yeah. Creating something and, and, and making the decisions and then yeah, witnessing it and thinking it's beautiful. It's kind right. of like right, right. a really cool, basic human deal. It's a, it's a deserved bias. That's yeah. what it is. It's right. Deserved bias. So anyway. So. Um, so we've got a list here of different kind of categories of types of projects. 
that uh, maybe along our path, we've come across a tip or, um, you know, we want to save you, you know, some headaches or something that we've gone through. And so, yeah, we just thought this would be a great DIY tips and tricks episode Um, in, in no particular order, but we're just going to, I guess, start here with, with cables. Um, We've talked a lot about making cables here on the program. Um, You can make interconnect cables. You can make digital cables. You can make power cables. We talk about power cables a lot. Um, Always with the caveat of power is a lot of, there's a lot of current. It's one of the more sketchy, dangerous parts of the DIY cable sphere. And you want to take appropriate caution and um, have all confidence in your, in your abilities for that. And we don't, of course, want to recommend that you do anything outside of a safety zone that could get, you know, cause right. any, any kind of, of course, um, yeah, trouble. That's, that's pre-fused. So, you know, you do have to be careful and you're dealing with high voltage, high current. So, yeah. Anyway, like but said, be careful. Safety first. In in that, yeah, under that uh, disclaimer there. But um, I, you know, we have some uh, we have some tips. So if you're yep. building your own cables, building your own cables is one of the cooler DIY projects because it's uh, quick, it's uh, effective. Because you know, if you if you're in this hobby and you're building a, a is resolving a system, as you can put together and uh and you're following all of the best practices you know you're going to get to that point where your system starts showing off the differences between cables and it's one of the most as we've discussed rewarding kind of experiences when you can pop something in that delivers you closer to what you wanted in your system um you can get there with cables so um I'd say so. My so we got kind of some bullet points here. So let's start with cables. Uh, I guess my first deal is um, this is a little little thing, but it's also like a procedural thing that you can just kind of start just adding to what you do. Is is paying attention to how you strip your cables, and I uh, I named this bullet point. Don't nick the conductor, mm. uh, if possible. Uh, the, when, when we talk about, uh, signal and, and the audio band, we talk about, you know, 20 to 20,000 Hertz. Um, but when it comes to, for example, shielding and ground, uh, on power cables or, or shielding and ground, uh, or shielding on other cables, um, we're talking about the, the movement of RF frequencies and at those very high frequencies, uh, skin effect comes into play to a large degree. Uh, you, you have more of the um, current happening uh, closer to the outside of the conductor. On, for example, if it's a solid gauge conductor, it's easier to to uh, envision. But um, and so the surface actually becomes very important. Um, this is something that AudioQuest goes, uh, you know, uh, approaches with their perfect, sur- uh, perfect surface copper conductors, where they really uh, focus a lot on on the plating and that kind of thing. But um, with the with the idea that uh, you know you you want to allow these RF frequencies to freely pass from chassis to chassis and and move on the ground toward the the, the electrical ground uh, and away from your system. So. Don't nick the conductor. Um, my tip there <clears throat> is that um, 
it's hard not to nick the conductor to be honest with you um Mm. What I've done in the past is used a really sharp blade and very, very, very carefully kind of work my way around it with trying my best not to touch the conductor. If it, yeah. if it touches, it's going to nick it. Um, but it's better than if I use my just uh, strippers. Yeah. Um, you can kind of like not get all the way through the insulation and then try to just pull that off. You right? could do that. Yeah. 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 I actually used to use my teeth until I, uh, until I chipped a tooth doing that one time. No way. Well, just the tiniest little bit between wow. my teeth, but I used to, I used to final strip it with my teeth and that's okay. just dumb. Don't do that. Um, but yeah. you know, but it doesn't <laughs> nick it, you know, cause it's just, mm-hmm. you know, enamel or whatever. Um, VH audio makes a wire. I was going to ask love. you about that. Yeah. yeah. And, and the reason I love it is it's not just cause it's, I think it's, it's either five N or six N OC, OCC copper. Great, great long grain, super long grain copper, just awesome conductor. But they use this dielectric that they call airlock. That is a foam Teflon. Uh, they're not the only ones to use foam Teflon DH audio, uh, DH Labs uses foam Teflon in some of their stuff too. But um, VH Audio uses it on the outside of the conductor. And actually, you can strip this this, uh, wire uh, jacket with your fingernails. So... What you do is you you kind of take the flat section of a of a wrench, not a ridge section, a very flat to flat, and and squish it a little bit, and then you take your fingernails and you pull it apart. And so that was specific. Um, I mean, you go to VH Audio and you go to bulk wiring cable, you find their wiring, and, and they talk all about that. So it's it's a thing. Don't nick the conductor. <clears throat> um, my second thing is solder everything. Pay cl- attention to terminations. Very important where you can have the biggest, you know, uh, impedance issues with, you know, a music signal mm-hmm. or a power signal. Um, and yeah. And with, um, like if you're making a speaker cable or a power cable, for instance, the, it's very important to have a, like a really nice solder connection as far as it not being a cold solder joint at all because, because of the current. Well, yeah, because uh, like, for instance, if you um, increase the, you know, just like half an ohm going to the speaker is a really big deal. Big deal. Yeah. You know, um, one tenth of an ohm is a big deal. So, you know, you just, you really want to make sure that you don't have cold solder joints. So, you know, there's a a billion different uh, uh, soldering Oh, tutorials. Yeah, tutorials. That's what I searched for. Yeah. We're going to get into soldering irons in a little bit because you are a great resource mm -hmm. for experience in solder with soldering irons of of many different kinds. And and this is going to play into. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about soldering in a a little bit. But um, okay. And then uh, our experience great connectors can make a big difference. Um, You've you've experienced that with me. We've. You know, both of us have done some DIY cables. I've done a whole bunch, and I can just tell you, I mean, listening to... I, I've taken the same connector, or same cable, and put just different connectors on it. And I'm talking about a power cable. And hearing different things, different things, different things. Hearing burn-in be different, you know. Um, so, I've I've talked about... <clears throat> this a little bit about plating and, and, you know, metal plating and, and junctions and, and, you know, there's some mechanical stuff at play. There's some stuff at the molecular level that you've talked about, about metals, two different metals contacting each mm-hmm. other and how 
their actual surface structure, you know, can, can mismatch a little bit. Yeah. The, if you look at like the crystalline structures of two metals that are different, um, you may actually not have a whole lot of contact. Right. could be a lot of air. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So the next tip, uh, by the way, we've just got tons of these, so we're kind of going to move through them, but yeah, my next tip, tip from my experience is don't be afraid to try unshielded cables. Just try it. Um, I've had some really great experience, um, going unshielded with certain interconnects. Um, I have done a power cable unshielded. Um, when I added a specific type of shield, I liked the improvement. So I, you know, but I have a pair of interconnects that I, I, I like a lot better unshielded and I tried it both ways. The cool thing about the shield, if you're making your own power cables, the shield is the last thing that goes on. I mean, under the tech flex or whatever. So you can listen to the cable without it. So I'd recommend that. Just a little tip. You know, try it. Yeah, and shields, you know, are complicated in a way that, okay, like, how do I terminate the shield as far as the ground goes? Right. Like, on what side do I do? We talked about that and, in the um, podcast. Yeah. You know, do you, do you terminate the shield, uh, it, you know, at DC or AC? You know, you could use a capacitor and, and you know, at DC make it, have it floating and then... At AC, you could, you know, you could couple Listen it. this guy. You know, all, all, all different things yeah. you could do. Yeah. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, the shield brings in capacitance, you know. Uh, so, right. So there's all these different, you know, uh, variables that you have to take in consideration that could change the performance of the cable and how it's interaction with the rest of the system. So yeah. um, that's why you want to try all these things and you want to listen to them. Um, that being said, as far as interconnects go, balanced interconnects, you know, just a uh, Megami cable um, with Neutrik uh, connections, are pro- that's probably the cheapest, you know, decent cable that you can make. Yes. <laughs> and if you're following the other tips, that, that if you upgrade the, the connectors on the Megami, you can actually go up quite a few levels. If you focus on the terminations mm. and you do that well mm-hmm. and you get great connect, uh, connectors, you can, you can bring the Megami way up to this, to this great level. Cause as we know, Megami's great sounding wire. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You get a lot for the money because they, they make a lot of it. You know, it's professional mic microphone cable. So, um, they just uh, they have really nice machines that are winding the configuration and it's well engineered and so uh, they have the purchasing power to really drive down the cost yeah. and so you're getting a lot for your money um, and uh, yeah there's actually I made a uh, tutorial on how to make Megami interconnects right and you can if you type that in and then like PS Audio uh, I think it's fifty dollar uh, interconnects or something like that. Yeah. Like or type that in. Darren Myers, it'll, it'll come up. Interconnects. Yeah. yeah. It'll come up in, on Google. Um, and there's an article that I wrote, uh, for copper magazine. Yeah. yeah. Like one yeah. Of the, maybe four years ago. Or yeah. I so. remember, I remember when uh, you did it. Yeah. So, uh, that, that can, you know, show you a basic, uh, configuration with Neutrik ends. And like, like you said, you could upgrade to Cartas or you could up- upgrade to, uh, furry attacker. There's a whatever, world you know, of connectors all out there, actually. All, yeah. all different connectors. So cool stuff. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, the last thing I'm going to add for cables, really quick. This is a tip from uh, a coworker of mine, uh, Peter, 
and he built a pair of interconnects uh, and he used KLE Innovations RCA plugs. Hmm. Now, uh, our uh, audio fellows out there who've been around the scene for a while might remember Eichmann bullet plugs as RCA plugs uh, that, that, that people really liked. It, it follows this uh, minimalist uh, uh, surface contact uh, uh, philosophy where the uh, ground on this RCA, the shield, uh, actually is uh, the, the RCA is a nylon um, uh, thing here. And then there's just one wire that, that contacts the, you know, the receptacle, the RCA jack. And so it's trying to limit eddy currents based on uh, such a large, uh, you know, conductor on the uh, RCA jack. But the reason that I'm recommending, uh, and so that was the Eichmann bullet plug, the the current uh, iteration of, of Eichmann type stuff is under the name KLE Innovations. Their RCA plugs are unique in this one sense. They are the absolute easiest to solder. They have it's two conductors, but instead of having the one in the center and the one on the on the outside, so they're close, mm-hmm. they just have them spread spread apart on this mm-hmm. barrel. So it's just it's it's just like a breath of fresh air for the DIYer that's using small gauge wires. Um, it's they're interconnects. It's low current. You you you. It's actually probably better for you based on skin effect and all this kind of stuff for you to be using low gauge, or um sorry high gauge small wires right mm. so they're just hard to solder and like deal with so get these kle innovations rca plugs and and super easy to solder just one side and the other side they don't get close nice okay nice. let's move to speakers yeah or should we do amps first we can do amps sure. let's do amps next yeah um, this is yeah. kind of the more your territory because you are a professional amplifier designer. So yeah, well, uh, you know, I started out the first uh, project I ever made in uh, my freshman year of college was actually a um, a Seymour, uh headphone amp. Headphone amp. Oh yeah, Seymour. And right. This, this is just um, essentially a twenty one thirty four op amp mm-hmm. running off of uh, two nine volt batteries. Mm. And uh, you can type this into Google and see the schematic. You know, it's not really something that will drive, um, you know, really demanding headphones. Mm. But, you know, it gets the job done with uh, with some, uh, you know, average sensitivity or high sensitivity headphones. And and is, is fun, easy project, safe project, doesn't involve any high voltage. Um, and it's, it's cheap. It's, it's very, it's very, very cheap. Uh, there you can are order... so many Seymour like DIY. Oh yeah, designs it's, that people have done out there. It's everywhere. So I made mine out of a cigar box. Yeah, um, back when I was so um, in a cigar box, and I bought a little, you know, prototype board, and then did it all point to point on it. Yeah, and yeah. didn't know how to solder really well, so yeah. it was really sloppy and didn't work at first because I had shorts and all this. You know, yeah. it was just killer um but it's i a good uh, first project though yeah and i capacitor capacitor coupled the input stage um and use some um, some nice ones i think some like some sort of sonic craft uh yeah. caps and stuff like that you know and i used uh i played around with some fancy resistors so you know there's just it's a fun easy project to start if you're starting 
build a Seymour. And you haven't really, yeah, you've never built anything. You might want to just like try a Seymour. It's just so cheap. I mean, especially if you use an Altoids box or you use, use a cigar box, it's just, it's easy. You know, it's, it's really, really cheap and easy. My first DIY amplifier project was from DIYaudioprojects.com. And if you click on tube DIY projects, you can find a 12 AU7 uh, headphone amplifier, literally a 12 volt, 12 AU7 headphone amplifier. So that was the first thing I built. I, I used a proto board just like you. I point to pointed. I actually made solder bridges uh, to kind of like simulate a PCB for mine. Uh, uh, mostly because I was kind of like going off of the PCB that was on the project that was like, here's the traces. And so I'm like, I'll do this instead of like trying to better understand the schematics so I can point to point it or whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, that was my DIY level, but I was able to pull it off. No, no problems on startup. I just followed all the directions. I actually read all of the forum posts about this project. And at about post 47, someone was like, isn't that capacitor wired backwards? And somebody was like, yeah, I just blew up like a, a cap. <laughs> and so you don't find out until like thread 50, like, or post 50 that you need Jeez. to reverse this one cap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's killer. Whoops. But anyway, the so I did that. But so I never had any blow ups. But uh, killer, and the result is just so much fun. You know, ugh. My favorite thing about that amp was the kill switch that you had on it. <laughs> yeah, right. Duncan Duncan had one of those like safety switches. So like he a, had like it had nuclear a nuclear launch like flip yeah, it was up like thing. a nuclear launch like flip switch where it had a guard on the switch. It was freaking <laughs> awesome. It's <was> stupid. <laughs> so, um. All right, go, keep us going here on amps. Yeah, and so, um, you know, from there, uh, of course, you can get into, there are a lot of designs online that you can research. There are, you know, set amplifiers to push-pull tube amplifiers. There are solid-state amplifiers that are available, like, you know, um, stuff from Nelson Pass. Yeah, like Pass. First, first watt kits that you can buy. Uh, there are Chinese kits that you can buy. I actually looked into this a little, uh, like uh, most of his projects have moved to pastdiy.com. Okay. That's good yeah, to know. From I'm first not, I haven't gone there. Okay. Yeah. Cause first Watt has like a couple of D of projects. Mm -hmm. Um, but you, when I was looking at it, I was like, I remember seeing like a whole list and then I go to pastdiy.com. Oh, there it is. It must've like moved or some. So, yeah, so the, the the past stuff is is probably one of the more friendly approaches when it comes to. It's still pretty heady, but I mean, it, it, I mean, it, it, it is. It expects yeah, a lot a, of you. Each project grows you. Yep, it does. Yeah. It does uh, give you everything you need, though. Uh, oh where, yeah. Whereas if you go to DIYaudio.com and you're trying to just you know copy a schematic of a of a tube amplifier, you have a lot of stuff going on here. Yeah, like you gotta. You got to pick your output transformers. You have to, you have to figure out how you're going to point to point this thing. You have to understand how to point to point, which is, you know, it's it's not as easy as just hooking everything up in the schematic. It's it's like twisting heaters correctly, right? And keeping routing stuff correctly, not right. to get hum and, and right. It's, it's, twisting you know, there's a lot to certain it. Certain cables um, to not get hum right. Like 
not killing yourself like because it you you can die um yeah and and we should mention that disclaimer for amps you know it's with uh with tube amplifiers it's it's tough you know it's you're dealing with high voltage when i was um when i was in college uh actually the second no 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 probably like the third or third or fourth project that i ever did i was trying to make a like 125 watt pure class a gm70 amplifier with like yeah. 150 right uh, or 1500 volts on the i think you mentioned plates. this before and i just back i backed out yeah. I, I said yeah. you know at this point because i was talking to some guys on on diy audio and they were just like you know i just don't think that you're based on your questions yeah you stuff. based on the questions you're asking you shouldn't you shouldn't build this yet <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're you're still going to school, and just, one day, buddy, you'll get you know, there. One one day, but just don't don't kill yourself. Yeah. You know, yeah. so so um, yeah. So I, I I backed out of the project. You know, I just thought, mm, you know, Corona uh, effect. You know, of 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 arcing. It's just not. You know, when you get above a thousand volts, things get weird. And um, but you you, you know, even four hundred volts, it's it's dangerous stuff. So yeah. just be very cautious of all that and and how you're grounding your chassis and all that you know there there's a huge complexity to that so really the easiest way to to make an amplifier that's going to sound great uh you know with minimal effort when it comes to power amplifiers similar to kind of like the cmoy and in yeah for headphone amps. An easier project um yeah would be like to build like a purify or an encore based uh, class d amplifier yeah um you can buy uh the purify uh eval kits uh that will give you the the output stage um you can you can buy the um the the encore uh ones as well and then you can buy high pec supplies which are the high pec supplies are used for for either module supply power supply pa- the, the power supplies yeah. yes yeah um the power supplies are used for the purify and the the encore right so purify so, is yeah. just output it uses the hypex uh it it does power supply yeah. and then it and then it requires a, an input buffer stage yes and so then for the input buffer stage uh for either the encore or the purify you can go to vtv amplifiers and they actually sell a, uh an input stage that can allow you to custom the input uh, whatever amplifier you want like whether you want to roll an integrated ic in there or you want to roll discrete ics that you buy on the internet yeah uh, i'm sorry discrete op amps um you you can you can choose you can choose whatever you want you know whether it's a sparkos or or whether it's a 1611 op amp or yeah. whatever you want in there uh you can Try different op amps and see how they sound. Like Hypex makes one too. Yeah, yeah. So that's gonna be the the Hypex. Um, well, they make an input stage. Oh, that's the that's op the amp input one stage. That yeah, you were talking about. And then and Purify also has their own input stage as well. And that that's gonna be uh, the Purify one. I think uses a, um, I believe it's a, a sixteen uh, uh, fifty six op amp gotcha is in that one and then the uh the one in the encore is going to be a 4562 op amp so these are 
these are integrated monolithic op amps. And um, then there's yeah. companies like Sparkos Labs or, yeah. S- or Sonic Imagery or, yeah. or Weiss that Weiss. are actually yes. making uh, op amp uh, op amps as well. Precisely, they can, they can work with these. Things. And so you could just you can just roll all those. The whole point of this is so, that it's it's it really starts becoming a project that you can voice and, and like do yeah. yourself and yeah. get this same DIY thrill out of. Yeah, yeah, and it's just uh, it's going to be a lot easier. You don't have to worry about mechanical stuff with heat sinking because with these designs Class you don't D. you don't have right. heat sinking. Um, and you can just buy, you know, like there are a lot of chassis on eBay, for instance, from China that are minimal cost. And you, you use can a cigar box. If throw you want. stuff together and you can, uh, you know, you can drill out your standoffs and then mount everything in there. I want to see so, someone make an amplifier in yeah. a basketball. In a basketball? Yeah. <laughs> that's, oh, that's weird. I, I need you um, to do that. You know... Bob Carver, did you know he made his first amplifier in a uh, coffee bin, a coffee like a, a yeah. coffee can, a big a big can, a big can thing. Yeah, yeah, he made it in a tin sure, can. Sure, sure. And he uh, what he did was he he skipped the uh, power transformer, so he he just he ran the output stage directly on 120 volts, so no isolation, nothing. Huh. And, uh, and so he made basically a, tr- no transformer in the whole amplifier, just a solid state with the, with the, uh, output transistors sunk to the, the aluminum can. <laughs> That's great. Uh, it's anyways, we so, love Bob. So he went to like some Macintosh, you know, when they, <laughs> when Macintosh used to come around they would have yeah, the Macintosh the, the, the measurement, measurement uh, yeah, rig. Stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and he was just, uh, you know, he was like a young, brought- young Bob Carver. And he, the one guy, like, you know, lugged his Macintosh amplifier up there. And the guy measured it and was like, oh, you know, 75 watts, you know. And then, and then two guys, you know, carried off the bench, you know, struggling and carried it off. And, uh, and Bob just like with one hand sets it down and goes 300 watts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, right. Yeah. It's you know, so, uh, so anyways. No now we have that, um, uh, and we have the ability to have incredible uh, sound through advanced Class D modules that you can just kind of wire together. So yeah, we so mentioned anyways. Purify. It's kind of the hot topic right now. It's the latest stuff. It's there's there's other ones out there. Ice modules and cores. We well, the, the problem with ice is that you can't you can't get ice. Um, oh, so, that's right. Yeah. I'm sorry. So yep. that's not available uh, on the market. It's only um, only for OEM. Yes, gotcha. So, but Purify and Encore you can. Gotcha. Right. And, and the Hypex power supplies. Now the problem with the Hypex power supplies, and I, I for those that are excited right now, I bet I do have some bad news. Mm-hmm. Um, it's ba- they're back ordered massively at the moment. Oh yeah. So you're right. gonna have to wait a little bit. Uh, um. So gotcha. get, just go to Hypex uh, their website. And then um, you're gonna have to go through the process. Probably make a um, an account and then try to try Get to buy some. But they're yeah, they're right now they're really really uh, behind on everything. Well, that's so, how everything's going. Kind so, of. So you know, so. and uh, yeah, you you uh, you mentioned something earlier that was really uh, really great and yeah. similar to what you were talking about in your uh, headphone amp design, which is that. You know, you you do want to double check everything after you populate the board. Yeah. You know, like if you got if you buy a PCB and 
the all the capacitors are marked for polarity just double yeah. check before you yeah. apply power yeah double double check the uh the polarity of all the caps because these things are you know they it's a firework they could know, pop and launch right <laughs> yeah there some launching yeah. that can yeah, happen and they, they can um if you're right in front of a big electrolytic that goes you know i've heard stories of of people getting, you know, eye damage. Eye damage is what I'm it. worried yeah. about. Yeah. So, so Jeez. just be be extremely cautious, and yeah. it's kind of like a little firework firecracker. Yeah. When, when they go, when it, when goes, it goes wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, hmm. cool. uh, and uh, so, and then the other thing is, if you are soldering on PCBs, um, you can use, um, you know, um, uh, alcohol to just yeah, rubbing alcohol to actually remove. Uh, the flux from the PCB. So there's that's a, a few good reasons yeah. why you might want to do this. Um, there's reports that removing flux, uh, which is, by the way, in the professional industry is a standard. We always do board washes. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You know, like this a very, if you're any sort of board house is going to actually do a flux removing They're process. They're just going to do it as part of But in DIY, right? it's not something that really comes to mind is to wash the board in uh in alcohol so that that is something that you might want to add and, and one reason is that there are reports about it affecting uh sound quality uh it does affect rf performance in the way that having um, flux on the board does yeah it yeah. does yeah and then uh the the other thing being that flux can actually uh lead to some corrosion over mm. time okay so that's another reason why they take flux off is because and some parts, like the leads, it can actually start to corrode uh, the metal. Ugh. So you want to get that stuff off. Yeah. 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 Great, great, uh, great tip. Um, there are flux removers out there um, based on our brief research. Yeah. It, it looks like, you know, alcohol is almost as effective. Some of these can be maybe more effective. We like the fact that alcohol is real basic evaporates super easy yeah and right? it's not very potent that's the thing is that some of these flux removers are hardcore chemicals yeah so you know you, you don't you want to do that in your house or you want to have a respirator you right. know the, like you know alcohol will just be will just be easier because yes. you don't have to worry about any of that now i saw yeah. one tip that uh a, a, a guy was uh giving where he said after the alcohol and the scrubbing and the and the rinsing uh, and by the way, you said, be careful of any relays and any moisture that you get near relays. Yes. Right? Yeah. Cl- closed enclosed things and they're mechanical to, to a degree. Yeah. And they're not all sealed. So, yeah. so you might want to do a board. If you do have uh, relays on your board, you may want to do the board wash before you add the relays, then, the relays. then populate the relays. Yeah. yeah. And you could even go in with just a little on the bottom of the relay, if it's a through hole. You could go in and wipe the flux away with some alcohol yeah, afterwards, yeah. But don't don't uh, don't wash the relay, um, uh, especially if you uh, if you don't know whether it's sealed or not. So yeah, but I mean, you don't need to really wash it. You could just take uh, Q-tips and alcohol and and kind of get a lot done. Um, but this one tip from this this uh, guy was saying that. Um, even after you do that, there can still be some alcohol. So an, another uh, run with Windex is actually like mm. his his final to get the alcohol. That's the, all the alcohol. That's off. interesting. Okay. Oh, yeah. interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Another yeah. solvent. Yeah, it's the main one of the main ingredients. Another of solvent. Ammonia. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Okay. Huh. So that's that's kind of the amps category. Where do we want to go next? We want to go to speakers. Uh, 
Well, why don't why don't we? Uh, yeah, or let's, soldering let's, irons. Let's do speakers. Okay, let's do speakers, and, we'll and the then uh, we use uh, soldering irons and speakers too. So, well, that's true. so let's uh, let's talk about speakers. Yeah. Uh. You know, a few bullet points here. Uh, I've built a lot of speakers. You've built uh, some yeah. speakers as well. Yeah. When I first started designing speakers, um, what I what I did not realize is how much the front baffle matters. I like was not yeah. focused on that. I was like, huh. it was all about frequency response. Mm-hmm. You know, I was that's what I was so focused on. I had bought a um, a Dayton Audio Omni mic. And was just using that for the measurements. And what I realized is that uh, whenever I got, I got, I built like this first speaker and I got it like plus minus 0.5 dB. Mm. And I'm just like, whoa, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, baby. Like, let's listen to this. Yeah, this is going to be did flat. It. We did yeah, it. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> and I turned it on. And I'm just like, oh God, this thing sounds it's horrible. horrible. <laughs> oh man. And so I had to, oh. um, I had to recess the mid range and redesign the crossover. And I moved some crossover points. Um, so there are many variables in the equation, but I still to this day think what I was dealing with was diffraction. Yeah. What I really needed to do is probably put some felt on around the tweeter and oh, and, there's and you know a bunch deal, of things. deal with some things. Um, so there's radiusing of the edges. Oh yeah. yeah, you know that's one of the reasons why the IRS five is radius to a hundred and ten degrees. Uh, you know, when we talk about, uh, you, you work at PS audio, Mm -hmm. Paul is, is a huge proponent of the infinity IRS five, the infinity reference series or systems, uh, five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is the top of the line that infinity ever made. If you get a chance to look at those, there's these bipolar. So the, the sound goes out the back as well as the front, but they're curved. And why are they curved? Diffraction. Mm hmm. You know, and mm. the bigger the radius, the better. So mm. if you're looking at, okay, I've got my rectangular, very sharp edged box speaker. Mm. What if I just round these edges just a little bit? Okay, well, that's something for the frequencies that correspond to, I mean, we're talking about a radius of an edge having having an effect on on frequencies and, and how like transverse waves that are coming off the drivers are hitting these edges and having absolutely nowhere to go. No, no ability for themselves to, to make a sharp 90 degree turn mm-hmm. and travel along the skin of the speaker. <clears throat> so there's, there's all of this, um, fanning out, uh, they, they, you can look at polar patterns of, of, of diffusion of diffraction and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So the best practices involve, radiusing of edges uh rounding off of hard edges but also movement of drivers in certain ways so that they're not like smack dab in the middle of the speaker because if they are then the edge diffraction things are gonna are gonna compound yeah because it's symmetric yeah yeah, if, if, if you have your tweeter spaced two inches from the top two inches from the left and two inches from the right Mm -hmm. you're tripling your problems Mm-hmm. You know, instead of randomizing them, you're actually like inf- inf- emphasizing them. So right, right, right. And we see that in room, you know, room dimensions. Even like we don't like the same. Room we don't dimensions. like symmetrical. Like, you know, uh, there's some a ten by in- ten by ten room. That's like Ugh. that's not oh, good. That yeah, makes yeah, me just yeah. like gives me the willies. Ten foot ceiling too. Yeah. That's like that would oh, be bad. Maybe. A cube. So. Um, 
So, uh, so yeah, that's the, and, and, you know, with the, for instance, the, um, the IRS, you, you had to have that baffle because they were, they're, uh, an actual dipole speaker. So the, the, uh, the drivers on the rear are, are out of phase. So they're going to cancel out. So it would just cancel out. So that's why you have to have the baffle big and wide. Yeah. yeah, So that baffle is calculated to be wide enough to allow the lowest frequency not to cancel around it. Yeah, but interestingly, yeah. most open baffle setups have a flat plane. Mm. And here's Infinity coming in saying, no, we're going to curve that. And the front, you're going to benefit from this this diffraction thing. Mm. And then the back, it's just going to... A curve sort of elongates a plane, right? Just a little bit. So I guess that's part of it. You know, uh, a uh, very popular open baffle DIY design out there has has a plane and then has these two uh, sidewalls that all they serve to do is really extend the plane further where you're not looking at a bigger open baffle, I've seen but that. you're getting the effect of the bigger open baffle. I've seen that. Yeah, because that's the hardest thing to do with open baffle is like stop at a certain size and say, yeah. okay, that's enough. <laughs> Seems so. There, there. So they are, there are two walls that come out. Yeah, they come out in the back. Yeah, in the, so it, in, the in the back. Yeah, so it really does separate. Like, there's a distance that it has to go yeah, past. Yeah, I see. Yeah. So okay. Um, where are we? Oh, this was oh, yeah, a fun yeah. one. I want. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Um, this is good. Yep. Mount tweeters as close to the woofers as possible. You're making DIY speakers. Mm-hmm. Um. The bigger difference that you get away from the the woofers, you're just dealing, you're just bringing in, uh, introducing uh, uh, vertical problems, basically like lobing issues. Lobing issues. Yeah. So you're you're making yeah. the lobing patterns not overlap as much. So no. what you want is like, for instance, a you know a concentric, a concentric. driver. Yeah, coincident ha- has a right has a very nice. A single lobe to it Ugh, right beautiful lobe yeah so and as you take that tweeter and you separate it from the the woofer you start having these two different lobing patterns and then you have an area that's overlapped and that's where you want to listen you want to listen where where, where you it have meets the two lobes meet a coincidence and so yeah. the closer they are together um the 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 larger that overlap is yeah and so that's really what you're looking for and that's actually something that the you know the mtm tried to 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 combat yeah was, was to create a a more uh equal lobing pattern because you have uh you have the same lobe on right. the top as you do on the bottom right like tm it's asymmetrical with a mtm it's it's symmetrical i think i think another byproduct too of spread of increasing the distance from tweeter to woofer is that you have to increase the distance as a listener for those two lobes to coalesce into kind of a cohesive uh, pattern you know the closer to coincident you get the 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 more chance of better near field listening that you have i don't know that's basically theoretically derived uh, idea of mine, but it kind of makes sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to share one tip because this is tips and tricks mm-hmm. uh, that I learned from Steve Deckert of Deckware dot uh, com. His uh, one of his designs, he actually takes uh, the tweeter, and if you think about a tweeter, you've got the small dome, and then you've got this just flat baffle, right? And overall, most 
let's take a soft dome tweeter. Most soft dome tweeters were looking at three inches in diameter for this baffle, but the actual tweeter's one inch. So what's this other two inches? It's behind it. It it's it's uh, motor and it's uh, magnet, right? But the actual baffle is just baffle. So actually, one thing that that Steve does is he he modifies tweeters that he buys and he cuts a semicircle out of them so that he can get it even closer yeah, to the woofer. That's a good idea. It's great. Yeah, and he has a picture where he does it and he does mm-hmm. it with a jigsaw and you can do it. Mm-hmm. So you do it cleanly and you kind of like clean it up a little bit and it's like. Bam. Closer that's, closer than you can get. That's really otherwise. cool. Yeah. That's really cool. That's a great, great idea. Yeah. Well, what's next? Um, All right. Solder everything. Same as cables. Mm-hmm. What do we talk about? Just like the resistance points, like you mentioned with speaker cables. Yeah, especially on uh, woofers. You same know. as speakers. Lots uh, of current. Any, any sort of uh, resistance on woofers is a big deal. Even a tenth of a gnome. So good uh, binding can, post is big. And then talk to mm-hmm. us a minute. Let's just go right into soldering because this is just where it, like, yeah, yeah, this sure, is one sure. of those things. So, okay, when you're trying to solder a big binding post, it's a, it's a ton yeah. of metal. Yep. Right? It's very it different from every other contact that you're soldering. Yeah, it is. And so with with this is, what's happening is you're asking the iron. It's it's kind of, in a way, it's a thermal short is kind of what you've, you've created. And yeah. The, and the iron is trying to, maintain send all of your heat here yeah you can kind of see heat as voltage yeah and it's it's trying to maintain the uh the same heat on the iron on the tip yeah but all that heat is being sunk into this mass that's cold yeah and so uh so this is where the power really matters of the iron that you're using right and also the contact area of the tip itself okay so you want to use a large tip when you're trying to solder a large mass. Okay. Okay. Uh, Cause you want a lot of contact area. Yeah. Uh, you also, uh, you know, you want kind of a higher power iron. Uh, yeah. That's going to help you. Uh, and this is where, you know, when you're, if you don't have an iron and you're searching for an iron, uh, you know, I- irons vary a lot in quality. I mean, a $600 iron, that's like a Metcal iron is just, leagues better than a hundred dollar iron it's, mm. it just is yeah um uh and same thing goes as a 15 dollar iron from lowe's or home depot compared right. to a hundred dollar iron it's it's also way better so it's if not that it hits temperature qu- quicker it does but it, but it can hold it it can hold the temperature so you can start soldering larger mass things so what i recommend is if you're getting into diy uh, instead of buying like the $15 orange, uh, Weller from, from Lowe's or something is to go on Amazon and buy a, um, I think it's, it's Heiko or Hako. Um, I think it's Heiko is the way that you pronounce it, but H A K K O. Hmm. Um, and they have like a hundred dollar iron. Um, there's not really another model. Um, and that's probably a, re- a good, that's a great, iron to start with because you get that you can set you can set your temperature digitally um it comes up to temperature really quickly they're reliable um, oh i recognize that one they're not yeah, yeah. they're not a 600 hundred dollar medcal but if you're getting into diy you know of course you don't want to just jump right into that if you've been in diy for a long time and you build a lot of stuff 
and a $600 iron is something that intrigues you because you want something that performs better, I can tell you it's a, a Medcal is a lot better than a $100 Hako yeah. or Hako or whatever yeah. it is. So Cool. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. at it on Amazon right now. I'm going to have to put this one in my cart. Yeah, so that's, that's what I recommend with that. Right. Uh, I, uh, like I said before, there's tons of tutorials on YouTube of how to solder. I'm not going to get into that. Right, um, but we can say that almost without reservation, the quicker that you can get the soldering joint done, the better. Right? Especially on a driver. So you have to be really careful about when you're soldering directly to a driver. Okay. Um, and one of the reasons is that, for instance, let's look at a woofer and you have the the uh, terminals that you want to solder to. Those terminals are, they have this, um, they have like a really lightweight wire, uh, usually like a, a threaded wire, a braided, braided, braided wire going to it. Yeah. So it's, it's meant for something that's, they're ultra light so that they don't Flexible. interact with the driver at all. So the driver, you know, doesn't see any resistance from them. Right. Um, now, if you were to heat the terminal to, uh, to, to such a temperature and flood it with so much solder, what you might have, have what might happen is that the solder might actually start to uh, flow in onto that that wire into the braid and that will make it basically like a metal bar yeah right and uh and that won't be good for performance just killing yeah exactly the performance trying to do yeah so you you, whenever you're driving like whenever i um solder to drivers whether it's a tweeter mid-range woofer whatever it is i i don't uh, keep the iron on the terminal for very long. Right. Uh, and it's usually there's no, there's no mass there anyways. So it's not like you have to really do that. You, you can know, it do should that take, real quick. It should take really, you know, the, yeah. the solder should take really quickly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I, uh, another, another thought just was, was that the very thin, uh, uh, wires that go to voice coils on like tweeters, for example. Well, if you think about, where is this heat going to go after the terminal? It goes straight to the voice coil. It's all this very, very tiny hair thin enamel coated wire and enamel can melt. Voice coils can melt. There's just like things that can happen when you heat up the the delicate things after these terminals. So you just want to be quick mm-hmm. in order to be quick. You got to have enough power and, and you got to, uh, you know, have the right tip and, and do it the right way. And uh, again, we don't want to get into soldering because that's a whole thing. And there's it plenty is. of tutorials. Yeah. And it's all over. Um, the better you are at soldering. YouTube, it's it's everywhere. The, so the better, like, terminations you can get yep. and, and across the board. Love it. Cool. Um, getting back to speakers, this was a trick. And, and this might be our only mention of crossover design because crossover design is fairly complex um and if if you're willing to to get into it it requires you do some research so you're going to be going down this path and following things out we thought we'd though add this one little trick that i don't think you see very often and i've and you told me this and this is a great little trick do you want to share it no okay it's just the idea of Let's take a two-way speaker and look at how uh, uh, an overhead view of how we're going to do the crossover. 
We look at the characteristics of the driver. Where's the resonance point of the tweeter? Where do we need to cross over the tweeter? Where do we want to cross over the tweeter? That's kind of like where we start. Because generally, you know, drivers, uh, woofers, they're they're good up until this point way up here. That's generally above where you want to cross them over. But sometimes it's not. What we have when, when, a, when a woofer starts trying to become a tweeter is something called breakup cone breakup and we've talked about this before but mm-hmm. the whole the woofer assembly is meant for this pistonic movement and a tweeter is built totally differently with very little suspension very rigid action very tiny minute vibrations and so it's a different beast so woofers sound horrible when they try to tweet basically so when we're crossing them over <clears throat> a lot of times when you hear some kind of brightness in the top end of, of a, of a two way speaker that you're designing, um, you might think, Oh, I have the tweeter up too loud. Right. So I need to pad that with a resistor. Mm -hmm. Well, here's a thought. Consider this, consider that it might actually be the breakup of the woofer. Um, and so then when you start thinking about it as the breakup, the woofer, you would approach that much differently than just the tweeter being too hot. Um, and, and one tip that is really brilliant to deal with woofer breakup, if it, if it's happening near your crossover point is to simply pull these drivers a little bit apart in the crossover and make an intentional gap, not a big one. Mm Not a big one. Remember, these are crossover slopes, so we're still getting information in the right places. But if you're getting overloaded, instead of drumming up a big notch filter for that that mm-hmm. resonance, try this first. Just separate your woofer and tweeter just a little bit. Mm-hmm. If that means increasing the capacitor to the tweeter or whatever, um, or the value, um, or changing the inductor value, either one will do the same effect but the but the idea that you just pull these things slightly apart and you might be able to deal with the the breakup in a really nice sounding way so another thing you can do too is um if you have like a uh you know a dayton audio uh omni mic or you're using a calibrated uh, umic from uh uh, what what was that work with room e- equalization? Oh uh, yeah yeah R E W. That's what I was searching for. Yeah. Um, so if you're using uh, one of those programs uh, to analyze frequency response, and you can do impulse response, and you can do distortion, um, right? What you can do is uh, take away the crossover and just go directly into the woofer and sweep the woofer and look at where the breakup is. And if you don't see the breakup in the frequency response, which is not always there look at the distortion and look uh, at where the distortion peaks. That's yeah, the breakup. That's the breakup. So what, then what you can do is you can go online or to, uh, there are so many useful tools for crossover design crossover online. calculators. Yeah. But, uh, but what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to introduce a notch filter. It's usually going to be mm. in the form mm. of a, uh, RCL notch. So three components. That is, uh, and then you can adjust the Q using that uh, using that resistor value. Will will actually change the Q, which is kind of like the width right. that the notch will of the be effective, effective notch yeah. on the frequency. So, so you could actually take that frequency that's the center frequency of what you've measured out of your woofer, and then you can calculate the correct values for a notch, and you can you can notch it. 
That's the other thing you could So do. this you would want to yeah. do if that breakup's going to be intentionally in the band where the woofer's still still active. If if well, you're crossing it over well before this notch, you you might still consider it be based on its audibility. Well, it's still it still might be audible. It might be audible. And, but then you'll you know, have to figure out something that how deep of a notch do I need and that kind of thing. But yeah, notches, I, you know, I, notches I would should say, not be, you should not be scared of notches. No, you should not. No, it's, I, no, I, I know you said that, notch. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just, uh, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's worth experimenting, uh, with both approaches. Yeah. Um, just because the notch in- introduces, you know, some some complex behavior. One's a little more and subtle then, than the other two. And the then pulling, yeah, and pulling the crossovers out to get uh, from each other is going to cause a frequency response uh, uh, issue. There's too. only so, so much of that you can do. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. only so much. So, so uh, yeah. Look into yeah. that. I mean, cool with John Dunlavy with the you know six dB per an octave crossovers. He used notches everywhere because that's all he could do. Crazy, you know. So he had to avoid breakups. So yeah. on the woofer, on the like for instance, on the SC IV, he has a notch on the woofer. You know, on the on the ten inch scan speak, right in the scan speak breakup, he has bang near the top of it. it. Wow. Yeah, wow. the the tweeter, he has a, he has a notch for. It, the residence, the, l- the self residence, which is going to be the low frequency, right? The free air and residence, then, yeah. And then he has a notch for the high frequency residence too. So he has he has a series notch and he has a parallel notch Jeez. on the tweeter. He will use yeah. a crazy. Man. He just notches everything. I love it. Yeah, so, it's a good approach. So, anyways, uh, that's just uh, you know that that's a. Uh, I think the, the those are some. Those are some pretty big tricks. Those in, are great tricks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> some really good pretty, tricks. That's some. Uh, those are pretty important tricks to yeah. to uh, designing crossovers, right there. Oh, I just thought of one more trick for cables. Oh yeah, yeah, on speaker cables. Okay, separate well, we're, we're your, all over the place. separate your positive and negative leads. Try ah, it. try it. Oh yeah, yeah, for for yeah. for speaker cables. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the proximity to each other that 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 helps very much determine the electrical characteristics of the speaker cable, the mm-hmm. resistance, capacitance, and inductance of the cable. Yes, uh, you separate them away; they stop interacting, and and you're just kind of like dealing mm-hmm. with less interaction, and you're gonna have some some interesting sonic effects. Mm. Um, you know, I firmly believe in just move these things away from each other and then mm-hmm. we don't have to worry about it. Uh, if you think cool. about, yeah, yep, yep. you know, inductors and you guys in electronics, you know that you can't put two inductors right next to each other face the same way. You kind of have to have one ninety degrees to the other. Right. Yeah. So there's, there's fields of interaction, you know, I just kind of yep. think it makes sense to separate those. A yeah. Well, that's how the capacitance in a speaker cable is derived is between the two, the inter- between the, the two. So right. You're, you're pretty much taking capacitance out of the equation. Or you, or you can double the capacitance with a Gertz effect. Uh, so the G- Gertz has a patent. So, uh, Al, uh, where uh, you, where you layer it, where you layer it. Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, that you're making a capacitor adding capacitance. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, and so, uh, to, I think, uh, finally on the speaker, uh, topic, um, adding a waveguide. Oh yeah. Right. Is, is one that we listed here. And 
That is uh, what a waveguide is. A lot of people are scared of waveguides, first thing. And the reason why they're scared is because they're like, I don't like horns. I don't like horns. It's a horn. <laughs> it's a horn, and I don't like horns. And uh, first thing, a waveguide is not really a horn, but a horn is a waveguide. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. you know? So, so w- w- let me put it in better terms. Um, that a a waveguide is not loading the driver, but the horn is loading the driver. Yeah, and uh, and so uh, a waveguide's perp the purpose of a first thing a purpose Pressure of a horn load. is to is to increase sensitivity and deal with directionality um, and, and power response. The increase efficiency as well. Well, that, yeah, yeah. That could be the way of saying yeah, sensitivity. Yeah. 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 Um, so the, the idea of a, of a waveguide is to, is, is, is a few things. The first thing is the power response. So directionality, it's to make the tweeter a little bit more directional at low frequency, more directional, a little bit more directional. And the reason why that is, is because the woofer is going to be pretty directional at the top of its crossover point. Yes, so, it's getting more and so more you, directional. As you don't it gets want higher. this situation where you have a a directionality happening in your woofer, and then it goes to the tweeter, and boom, like really wide dispersion. Right now, we have this off-axis power response issue, where where you know you you get a narrowing in in the polar plot, and then all of a sudden, bam, like you know, right at the crossover frequency. It starts going wide coverage. Yeah, and, and, and they're both contributing at the same time to those frequencies, too. So you have mismatched polar patterns as yes. well. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. which can odd, odd phase relationships there, yeah. depending on the crossover and all that. Um, so, so a waveguide fixes this by, uh, by actually making the tweeter at low frequency more directional and therefore matching the the uh the power response uh through the whole region of the crossover yeah and so you get even you if it's designed correctly you can get even uh in room response and roll and power response roll off on the side of the speaker which is it's going to mean that your reflections are going to be flatter yeah and and not have any anomalies in it so yeah so it's a big thing the other thing is that a waveguide can it can start to load at really low frequency and so you can actually get higher sensitivity at low frequency with a waveguide. So at the very, very bottom of the tweeter output, it increases sensitivity. Why is this important? Because uh, that means that you're dropping less power at low at low frequency into the tweeter. That means less distortion. Less distortion. So absolutely, ex- uh, precisely where the THD starts to go Spike. up. Yeah, yeah, at the at hardest the, parts, the low. Yeah, when that diaphragm starts to skirt. Yeah, at low frequency. So, so, anyways, that that's a a lot of people. I, I we have written down here like try a waveguide. I love the way that that's written because it's like people are scared of waveguides. Yeah, yeah, and they should. You shouldn't be scared of a waveguide. Right now, I don't know about like a clipped horn. You know, I can't. No promises on that. Yeah, one. it's you a little know? different. <laughs> yeah, Tractrix horn, no, but. Uh, but waveguards are a different beast. They're a friend yeah. to the woofer and tweeter alike. Yes. Know, really. Yep. So. Especially if you're going into a larger woofer. 
Yeah. Like, uh, really, I mean, you know, if you're if you're jump. going down into right. an, an eight or, or, you know, or so. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. You know, it's going to get that. It's going to get very directional. So you, you have to, you, you want to be looking at a waveguide to transition your tweeter. So anyways, that, that wraps up speakers. Uh, just a couple more categories and, and only a couple bullet points because uh, the bulk of our, our uh, advice is, has already happened. But uh, let's go to stands and racks real briefly. Uh, my bullet points here was everything has a resonance. Um, stands, racks included. I, I, I can't tell you how many um, examples I've heard where people change their rack and they say that their sound of their system changed. Um, we've talked in the past about Harbeth's approach to a cabinet that's that's intentionally unbraced. Um, we've talked about the other side of the coin, the incredible inert cabinets of people like Wilson and stuff. And so the thought that 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 the physical makeup of these electric components doesn't play a role. Mm -hmm. uh, That's, that's we're past that. Um, So we're into the discussion of stands and racks play a role. Isolation. uh, Do you firmly anchor something or do you isolate it? Do you spike it or do you damp it? You know, we love this topic. We've talked about it in, in a number of, uh, times on this podcast, one of our passions, but um, thinking about our world in waves, that's what this comes down to. Um, everything has a resonance. Uh, we talk about sorbethane a lot of times. Um, there's good reason. There's actually like great science behind why is sorbethane one of the best conductors? Well, its effectiveness is very wide band from about 10 to 30,000 Hertz. Um, it's incredibly durable and it's uh, temperature rating is, is crazy. Um, but one of the things that it talks about is the shock energy it can absorb versus RMS vibration energy. Um, sorbethane is really good for RMS vibration energy up to, up to literally millions of cycles. I mean, it's talking about its most effective frequencies up to 30,000 Hertz, but I mean, um, it's it, the the wideband characteristics of sorbethane are just like incredible, mm-hmm. um, and then and then in the midst of that, it it can be it, it can still have like a, enough uh, impact uh, uh, absorbing ability to take like big shock transients and stuff like that. So it's just super effective. It's it's just got a lot of things. Now it does need to be compressed correctly, and. And the, the optimal compression rate is, of course, 50% so that it's kind of in in the middle of the area where it can move. Yeah. And that's it the, how down, it, it actually, right. it, that's how it absorbs the energy um, and, and provides isolation. Now, now it's like, like you said, it's not always the solution, you know, and so you can use a spike to uh, directly couple uh you know a stand or or a speaker to uh to the floor um but you know that's probably preferable until you have floor problems right have we ever taken a stance on this it it depends a lot on your floor it really it really does it's honestly you have to kind of try it but 
there are many different types of flooring. Like for instance, um, every room, the floor is completely different. Like even, even in the same dimension of the room, like just the construction of the house, the floor has a different resonance. Yeah, you know, different like it, parts of the floor. Yeah, I have a house where one part of the house was built in, before 1920, and the other part of the house was built in like 1995. Well, the 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 way that the floor is constructed in 1995 is so different than before 1920. Oh, for sure. And so the 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 way that the the residence on the floor is much higher in the older home because everything is actually more, more rigid, more and, rigid. There and, might be more pylons and, underneath. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you get to the, the newer construction, which also it, it, to be honest with you, it's not like the best construction in the world. It's on the cheaper side of stuff. And it's kind of like a tramp. We call it the trampoline, the trampoline room. room. It's kind of trampoline room. It's true. It, it's, I, it's weird because the trampoline floor might be kind of really nice. You know, because it's below the audibility. Right. <laughs> That's the thing. Right. It's, it's so, it's so, like, the, the the resident frequency is so low on it that, you know, it, it might, doesn't... It might add atmospheric background, like, subhertz kind of stuff that's fun or something. Yeah, like yeah. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know what's going anyway. on. Anyways, I'm just saying that depending on your floor, sorbethane versus spiking you know you got to try it you got to try it out in your room um you you know you under your speakers you can try uh the the isoacoustic gaia solutions for for sorbethane or you can make your own solution by buying sorbethane and like building building something yeah. yeah so yeah i made some some subwoofer stands that are really really effective i mean you just cannot feel anything going into the floor, um, and these stands are are, are very uh, uh, successful at yeah, you, removing that. And you sandwiched, uh, let's say, three or four layers of concrete sorbethane, concrete sorbethane, concrete sorbethane of the right durometer, they call it, in terms of density but the right density to get it about 50% when you get all that things, all that weight on top of it. Yeah. Yep. So and you can do the same stuff. thing and then buy countertop wood. Yeah. Um, and you can put just, you know, blocks of concrete and maybe wrap it in fabric if you want, or you can build a, uh, kind of a, a wooden frame around it and paint the wooden frame and then, and then put a kitchen countertop, uh, slab on that. And that can be, your stands you know it's a lot cheaper than these audiophile stands I, man you know i'm i'm always having to be i always have to you know be a believer through experience you know i i i'm always very skeptical of things until i hear it hmm. um i there was a time in my life where i didn't think that power yeah. cables would make a difference yeah me too you know and then it's and then healthy I, it's healthy to be skeptical yeah yeah Right. And right now, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm skeptical of $30,000 audiophile racks. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it. I, and, I just am. I, I just, and mentioning uh, that, that that exists, look, there's a whole world of science in, in these racks when they talk about, oh, this is decoupled from this, decoupled from that. Okay. And we've ground we've grounded them, you know? It's like, all right. Okay, well. look at the technology. Look at the things they're talking about. All this stuff you could probably just try. Like, there's not a ton of racks that require multi-million dollar machining instruments. If you want to do it exactly like them, yes. But you could take their principles and try it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
one of the things, uh, Rack of Silence, uh, has has certain types of suspension in certain points that you could totally DIY. Are you kidding me? You can't. You might not be able to make it look as good as mm. quickly. Like it might be a long project to make it look as good. But um, these are very simple, just basic. Like it's the same kind of technology as our microphones. By the way, oh dude, we need. I need to redo the shock mounts on these. Look at this. It's just hanging out at the oh, bottom. Oh, it's really, uh, really sagging. I need new new rubber on here. Okay, but I'm just saying, like, yeah. this is the heart and soul of it. Mm-hmm. Is uh, keep an eye on on what's actually happening here. Am am I isolating this thing? Do do I have the right rubber in place? And, mm-hmm. and am I mm-hmm. doing stuff uh, the right way? You know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So you know, I. Um, yeah, so you know, I I'm a pretty big into DIYing stands, stands and stuff. And obviously, yeah. everything I have, even the floor stands for amps, I just I buy countertop wood. You can go online and But you have bought a buy. lot of these isoacoustic pucks cuz you believe in that as as Oh, well. yeah, yeah. So, of so course. it's kind of your Yeah, your, for sorbethane. You're mixing you know, and matching. And I'm curious get uh, as far as getting into spikes and and I know that, you know, sometimes uh, components want to be spiked right i and, like my deck on a on these uh ceramic spikes that i have yeah so, okay yeah last section here real quick uh because we don't have a big section on uh digital because uh i don't know it's just not as much diy out there i'd say but yeah it's it but getting it's growing more. It's, it's growing, growing. absolutely and growing. with servers people are diying servers right. right now right our uh uh lead uh, engineering technician at ps audio jordan camper he's building his own server right now where he's killer he's building his own power supply of all audiophile of parts. course he's doing it to the nines oh yeah. it is yeah and he's uh he's using a motherboard online and then he's gonna be modding the motherboard updating the so he's not he's, even using a nuck to to then go to do something no, else he's, he's, he's starting to be gutting, gutting some crystals and then putting femtos in there right. and then he's you know he taking out all the circuitry he doesn't need on the board and and so yeah it's um the diy server uh community that's growing it's growing yeah, yeah it's it's growing it so kind of started a, with the hi-fi berry crowd right it did it did yeah which are not uh they're not great <laughs> to be honest with you <laughs> the um, the ropies or whatever yeah they they leave uh, a lot to be desired in my opinion but it's a fun first project it yeah. is yeah uh, and uh, uh, the entry price is low yeah yeah a raspberry pi uh based yeah server yeah yeah that you can actually output i squared s on some of these things can't you uh, yeah, of if course. you get it configured for yeah. squared S out, of course yeah. you can. Yeah, you could. You, uh, could, you could figure that out. The one I yeah. use is is like Spitif or yeah, I think it's just Spitif out. Um, yeah, but you know, uh, what's great is that uh, with just a little bit of reading and research and a couple of products and then a little bit of quick putting together, you've got a like a rune endpoint that you can have yep. like that you can serve use you know you have a mac mini as your core and then mm-hmm. use this thing as an endpoint and also um, maybe it's just like a small bedroom setup yeah. at that point the 150 200 yeah that's all you kind of want worth to put it. into it that's now yeah. if the if you have a you know serious main system and you're expecting reference quality you know server sound out of a hi-fi berry 
I hate to say it, it's mm-hmm. not it's not gonna happen. Might not be there. It's not you, gonna happen. You can you can try with a linear linear power supply and, and get babying it as much as possible, but it's yeah, it's not it's not to comparable it. to the higher end servers. Um my tip for hi, uh, the Raspberry Pi uh streamer. Uh I don't know if there's negative effects of not having a Faraday cage per se, but in talking to you, it sounds like it's not grounded anyway. I would recommend getting a plastic uh, enclosure because in my experience living in Colorado after about September, from September to about March, we have static season, basically, where we're just all walking, you know, charged static, you know, uh, uh, you know, conductors. So I've noticed that if I get, if I accidentally touch, even accidentally touch my um, Raspberry Pi chassis, mm-hmm. um, it skips, music stops, it it turns off, it kind of like resets. I have to like wait, go find the thing on Rune again. It's a real big pain in the butt. So that would be my recommendation. Um, maybe you live in a place that's less statically charged in Colorado. But uh, anyway, yeah, it's yeah, it's just so dry here. Just a thought. Yeah. Uh, that's what I would have do, done different. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last thing, uh, just the, uh, probably wrapping up the whole discussion right here, because we're going to get uh, uh, right next into our album of the week and then wrap this up. Um, <clears throat> uh, listeners that have heard uh, me talk about my DIY audio projects and this power cable that I've been designing and, and um, you know, all of the, uh, just steps along the way. Uh, no, I mentioned a guy who uh, kind of started as the inspiration for the design that I'm working with lately with my power cable. Uh, a guy named by the name of Steve Reeve, uh, and his website is www.image99.net. And then go find near the bottom uh, my audio alchemy and click on that because he's got a bunch of other stuff like photography and stuff on his website. But look for audio alchemy. Anyway, he's got a USB cable. DIY design that you got to try if you're interested and this goes back into cables a little bit but um, this is more of a digital thing I thought I'd I'd bring it under this um, umbrella but um, upgrade your digital cable DIY it 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 may seem like getting the the right impedance is as hard or impossible or you know um, just do it actually it's totally doable Uh, you just get the right uh, ingredients and you can make something that, uh, will actually blow out of the water, you know, not even talking about stock, but like, like pretty decent cables, um, aftermarket cables. So big, big fan of Steve's, uh, DIY designs there at www.image99.net. So yeah, this website, uh, is a very sporadic, uh, it's like, um, there's, polar bears a section there's a polar bear section next to high dynamic range yeah next to my audio alchemy yeah so this it's an interesting website yeah and you click on my audio alchemy and there's tons of stuff i mean it's like a whole world uh you know of his projects and 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 his little gear and all of his modifications what's great Mm. is is the way he writes is such a an even keel kind of way and uh very informative and then uh yeah he gets to the the gist of what you want and like has these great recipes I, i i love it I love that website. So. I'm going to check out the polar bears. I'm going to check out the polar bears. Yep. All right. It is time for 
the album of the week. Okay. So excited for this one. Um, because this one's been in my kind of quiver, hanging out, waiting for the light of day on our recommended albums. Because I, I love it so much. I know it's so credible. But there was a moment, you know, when I come over to your house, I don't have access to my Rune library. But I have access to yours. You know, I can I can sign into yours and everything. So the way that I pull up my old albums that I want to say, if I find something I put into my library, I find my library on my Cobuzz app or something. So it's a little clunky. I'm trying to switch between apps and like, uh, which one was the album I was thinking of. And, um, you know, I played some things for each other, um, for the album of the week this week and, and some really impressive electronic, uh, from you and, uh, and some, some great, bubblegum pop for me that i've been listening to bubblegum pop i like that yeah and uh but then we were like oh okay look what are we really gonna and i was like oh well first of all your system sounds oh so incredible so what it has me doing when i'm here is like oh which one which thing did i wanted to hear let alone like i don't care if we recommend it i actually i want to hear it on darren's system because i need to know (laughs) where this thing goes if this recording goes a little further um so there was this album um called i'm and i'm gonna guess on the title but i think i'm pretty good on this uh rivages and it's a french um album um but it i i remember this because today i was pulling up uh a jo- the Joseph Shabison album that we love Philadelphia oh, yeah. and we've recommended that one before um but um uh, right near that because my rune library is organized by date right near that is rivages and so mm. it's an album by jean-louis Martinier, jean-louis Martinier, and kevin siddiqui um i don't know who's it's it's under on the streaming apps probably jean-louis uh Martinier. so that is uh and by the way all of our album recommendations are always going to be on our website. Our website is www.thehifipodcast.net. If you go to the front page tomorrow, I'm going to update the whole site and have the um, have the album of the week there on the front page. But uh, in future weeks, if you're listening to this after the fact, uh, go to our albums page, and it's going to have a full list of all our previous albums. And uh, is this on, uh, do you know, it looked like an ECM record. Is it? Do you know? Good if question. It's ECM? Um, I was just curious because uh, it it looks like the front cover looks a lot like an ECM. It is ECM. It's a hundred percent ECM. They I have a right very there. you know defined way of putting of of having their album covers. Well, you and you and I have it. started getting into labels on Rune because you can search yeah, on yeah, Rune yeah. by label. Yeah, or if you're on Cobuzz or Title, you can do the same thing. And that's yeah. something that you find in common with Hubro too. One of our favorite oh, yeah. audiophile labels. Yeah, just follow it, the label. Is that yeah. you can almost eyeball a Hubro mm, release by yeah. the album art? Yeah, it's smart for How sure. Do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a good call on this ECM, um, album. And of course, as you know, ECM just legendary for, for audio quality. Yeah. Um, but anyway, let's, let's describe Rivages. Um, it's a duet, right? I don't hear any, any other instruments other than two people, one with an accordion and, uh, of some sort, it could be a bandolero. I don't know. And another with a nylon guitar. You know, and uh, 
how I mean I I played this for you. I know it hits right away. And I I mentioned the melody that I like, but tell me about like your experience with hearing this fresh. Yeah, I you know, I I really love the the accordion has such a a rich harmonic texture to it like when it's yeah. You know, when it's recorded correctly, especially when it gets down to like lower notes and like the yeah. depth of the recording and uh I really you know, I, I always love the the accordion. You yeah. Know, it's it's a it's uh underrated as an instrument. I but feel about the, it the way yeah. that I feel about saxophone where like there's a, a plenty of accordion that I don't want to listen to. But there's some accordion like like when I think about Paul Desmond on saxophone and mm-hmm. how vocal he is with his saxophone playing. Sure, sure. It's almost like water for a, a, a thirsty person. Like mm. it's so harmonically satisfying to me to hear uh that done in the right way i guess so there's I feel accordion and music i mean like kind of fair music is probably not so great i was gonna say polka and like yeah, some you know there's plenty of stuff but like you know just romantic french uh accordion you do it you know, right it's like it's it's good you know yeah, it's, it's good, good stuff it's good um but at this recording has depth and and the way that the the way that the accordion is is uh mic'd and recorded is is quite phenomenal so it's it's a really nice beautiful and relaxing album uh it's very relaxing to listen to i haven't listened to the whole thing yet but i i surely will soon you and put in a good effort it's you, very number it's very re, very relaxing and also um you're talking about we we're actually using this recording to compare the matrix versus just the yeah. inuos directly into the direct stream and you were talking about how you're picking up on subtleties with the nylon strings. Yeah. You know, just because of the the transient kind of information, the leading edge transient on, yeah. on a nylon string and also just the, the texture that you get with it too. So, so what I was talking about was being able to identify whether he was um, plucking with his thumb or mm-hmm. a different finger. Mm-hmm. And uh, and how listening on the Matrix kind of ex- obscured that at this point, and and that the Inuos actually showed off. Oh, he's using his thumb for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. So your thumb fingernail is going to be different than your other fingernails, and and the and the what would they say the attitude of attack toward the string, right? So your other fingers are going to be more perpendicular, but your thumb is always almost parallel to the string, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so your other fingers. Um, you know, what you can do as a flamenco player is just grow them out. You can shape them a little bit. You can kind of have them have this, you don't point your fingers, fingernails as a, as a player, but you softly point them kind of like to give them <clears throat> some strength at the hmm. tip, you know? Hmm. And, and so, oh man, fingernails are very important to a, a classical guitar player. Hmm. Right. And so also is uh collagen intake and, uh, and yeah, like, like growing your fingernails and, uh, and, uh, what else, uh, what are the gummy bears made of or whatever? Anyway, that kind of stuff that grows your fingernails. Um, and so, uh, but you can tell it's a thumb because, because of the uh, attitude of the thumb on the string, you get so much more meat before you ever get the essence of a little fingernail of, of bite. Mm. Right. Uh, and, and people who are stringed, uh, instrument listeners, uh, can tell the difference between a pick and a finger, right? And so, 
I'm, I'm, we're getting even more subtle from that, but that's the type of thing we're talking about. It's the same string, but it's, it's a different approach. Right. Mm. And so I could hear when you switched, uh, the, the matrix out, uh, mm. in this case. And again, just to reiterate, uh, before the NUOS was broken in, I, I, I heard what an incredible, you know, effect the matrix had. So it's just like mind boggling. But anyway, where we are now, what I was hearing was, more clarity of yes that's a thumb and and it's not uh, it's not an index finger because it's a strong it's a strong pluck a couple Mm -hmm. of plucks but it's a strong pluck with enough thickness and meat in front of that that uh attack or that transient attack that i was just like that's a thumb right so anyway, I love that about this. You yeah. you hear the guys shifting in their seat. Oh you yeah, hear the, yeah, yeah, you hear the That's key right. noise from the accordion. Yeah, love the You're breathing. Love that noise. Love the recording. Foot noise shuffling. Around. Yeah, I love that. So it's this is so audio. It's intimate. Also, we were listening to a very audiophile album before this, and uh, we were impressed by it. And then we started saying, "Gosh, this is kind of boring." <laughs> wow, this is really boring music. Like it sounds really good, but I'm sorry, I I I am so uninterested in this. And uh, a wonderful, a wonderful contrast. This yeah. album, Rivages, mm-hmm. because you're constantly kept on your, you know, uh, your attention is kept by these melodies. It's just so cool. So very cool. Thanks for sharing that one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Killer addition to the library. Yeah. Yep. All right. Absolutely. Well, thank you for listening to, uh, oh, we got to another nice, nice long episode. Um, we love doing that. We love, we just love this time, uh, uh, blabbing, blabbing about our passion and, and we love the response from listeners. Thank you for reaching out and letting us know what it means to you and that kind of thing. Um, so thanks for listening. And with that, this has been another episode of the Hi-Fi podcast with Darren and Duncan. I'm Duncan. I'm Darren. And we'll catch you next week. All right. Bye. The Hi-Fi Podcast with Darren and Duncan is produced by Darren Myers and Duncan Taylor and it's copyright 2020 of Slope Productions. The intro and outro music is provided by Denver's Color Red Studios and features the song Bangs by the band Many Colors.